Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Your Honors, may I state, first of all, what a pleasure it is to be practicing law once again in the great state of North Carolina. My heart gladdens with the promise of justice when I stand in one of the original 13 colonies. From the great Smoky Mountains to the Pimlico Sound, I know that fair consideration will be offered to all who set foot in a Tar Heel Tribunal. As the Bible tells us, seek and ye shall find. And I thank the Lord for helping us to find these terribly troubling tapes. Uh, you mentioned the book, uh, Picking Cotton, uh, which is about Ronald yeah. Cotton, this black male in North Carolina. He did, I think, about 11 years uh, in prison where a white woman uh, falsely picked him in a lineup and said that he had raped her. Do you have any, any thoughts or any, any profound things that you recall from the book? Well, I mean, I remember reading the book for for the research I'm doing on this on this book actually, you know, which is the, you know on black men and false accusations, et cetera. I was I was struck by the conversational tone of it, that that somehow it's okay. You see, this is the problem I have is that it it puts the burden on these black men who are exonerated to take the high road of forgiveness, and and that's the theme that runs through the whole book, and it's something that I was very very uncomfortable with, uh, because what 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 ends up happening is that you see an injustice for a false rape accusation. And inevitably people say, well, even though that's true, the, the idea, the, the most important thing is that, you know, we're prosecuting rape. But what we're not talking about is how rape has historically been used as a mechanism to oppress black men. So when we get these types of books, I think the problem is that it, it, lends, it lends to this narrative that there's not a sexual violence against black men. You see what I'm saying? That we can that we can look at this, that we can say, hey, this happened, but it was a mistake, and both people grew from it. As if there's something to grow, like you can grow from time in prison. You know, and, and it's, just, it's infuriating, because there's so much denial about the specific sexual oppression that black men suffer at the hands of white women, both through rape and through, you know, uh, false incarceration, are false accusations and convictions that, you know, there's no way that forgiveness should even be a part of that. Thomas Murphy said he saw Deborah Sykes with one black man with his arm around her and commented when he got to work that he had seen another white woman gone wrong and what a tragedy would be if they got together and had children. He was a Klansman. He had a gun in his car. So if any black man was messing with a white woman, he certainly was going to stop and do something about it. And he didn't because he thought there was something voluntary going on but murphy was so upset and the police wanted to use him so much that they kind of deputized him and so for the next couple of weeks after the murder murphy would sit in a patrol car or a, or a detective car at the scene of the crime and watch people go by after a few days the chief detective detective dalton pulls out this these photographs polaroid photographs of daryl and sammy and some mug shots of various other people According to Detective Dalton, that's when 
Thomas Murphy points at Daryl and says, well, he looks good, you know, and he'd like to see him in a lineup. I can't believe that we have justices that would even consider a new trial for him. My daughter lost her life because of multiple stab wounds, one fatal wound with a six-inch knife blade into her heart. This DNA that could or could not have been collected, no matter how it's tested, no matter how it's preserved, rape and sodomy was not what killed my daughter. He took her life. He has enjoyed years that she lost her life. have a good memory we read Dr. Marimba Ani Yurugu that was the very first book we read in the Catherine Massey book club she talked about the concept of the jungle and why that is significant in the context of white supremacy racism keep that in mind we have to remember remember to explain why that song welcome to the jungle context of white supremacy Gus T. Renegade the black O.J. Simpson in for another broadcast hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy today's date oh man today's date Monday August 28, 2023. Mm. So I have been told. Now I said on Saturday, Jacksonville attack. We had listeners in Jacksonville. We will be here tomorrow, same time, talking about Jacksonville in context. Our listeners in Jacksonville, mm. Florida, they said, dang, this is the same weekend 63 years ago as the axe handle attacks where racist brutes in Jacksonville took axe handles to terrorize and bludgeon black people. The same weekend, we said, dang, you think this white racist who hated black people, do you think he might have known? Hmm, same weekend. When we talked about all of that, I said the 28th of August, all the hoopla that I've seen today about the March on Washington, that is true. 1963, Dr. King mentioned in the book we're talking about today. Yes, going to the nation's capital, talk about racism. Yes, that is true. Fannie Lou Hamer was there. We just did our Chicago thing. That is true. But the reason they picked August 28th for the March on Washington is because privileged black male Emmett Till was lynched 1955 on August 28th. Lynched, castrated, Mm -hmm. all of that. Relevance for a lot of reasons, but I mean, even the book we're talking about today. Wow. The same story over and even make sure hey this is the cows we've been here for 14 years his father Emmett Till 
the same thing. World War II veteran. What happened? You get lynched. You go through all of that to go fight for your country and beat the Nazis and you end up getting lynched because you've raped a white woman allegedly. Like father, like son. Mm. Wow. Same story over and over and over. Privileged raping black males. Anyway, Emmett Till today, August 28th, for our broadcast today, I feel like we pick out a lot of different regions in the globe where I say, man, we've done a lot of work. Mississippi is one. We've done a lot of programs uh, talking about their history. I thought Florida would be one. We've done a lot of work and talking about things. North Carolina is creeping up the list, right? We've done lots of programs talking about different events that have happened there. Certainly the Wilmington Purge, 1898. We've talked about that uh, a number of times. Even, in fact, I was thinking today for the importance of this case, we talked about the Duke lacrosse case not that long ago. Mm -hmm. They talked about for that case, some of these white players, they got an official decree of innocence. And we had some of our white guests who said, dang, that's not how the legal system in the U.S. is set up. They do not declare you innocent. Like, hey, we messed up, whatever, vindicated, tossed that up. We do not. It's guilty, not guilty. They didn't even have a trial and they got declared innocent. Like, dang, is that supposed to happen? We have to see some of the black males that we've heard today. Ronald Cotton. Sammy Mitchell. Daryl Hunt. Do any of these folks get declared innocent? Not just, whoops, we made a... You are innocent, official. We got a certificate for you and everything. We will have to see, did that happen? But we've done a number of programs. The great history of the Tar Heel State. Even Jonathan Farrell even gets to the more recent. Man, black males and these white women do not... Even the Wilmington, I forgot. That also was right there black males out here raping our women we talk anyway when we have not talked about raping black males in the state of North Carolina we've done other broadcasts even the half has never been told Edward Baptist has a lot of great history on the state of North Carolina all that said our intro for today very beginning snippet from the OJ Simpson case one of our favorites the late Effie Bailey uh, talking, we'll get to that later. The middle two segments were from the documentary film, The Trials of Daryl Hunt, Privileged Black Male, who is the main subject of our topic for today's broadcast. Uh, the song, we'll get to that later. Our guests can share a tidbit about all of that as we proceed. Uh, our guest for today's broadcast, in addition to writing the book we will be discussing, uh, titled Beyond Innocence, the life sentence of Daryl Hunt. Mm. Important title as well. We'll get that clarified why she would pick such a title. Mm. Uh, but in addition to writing this book and spending years, if not decades, uh, covering this case specifically and really getting uh, to know as much uh, of the details about Mr. Hunt and many other, even uh, Mr. Cotton, who's not really a subject of the book, but getting to know a lot of the details about these folks in some of North Carolina history. Uh, she is a journalist, a professor, uh, even doing some teaching down at Wake Forest 
Marco Demon Deacons. Uh, thankful to have us joining <laughs> us on the program live this Monday, Emmett Till Day, August 28th. Our guest, Miss Phoebe Zerwick. Miss Zerwick, you're with us? Yes, I'm right here. Thank, Thank you. you for that introduction. Oh, for sure. Thank you so and much. And all that context. Hey, that's what we do. That's what we do. Anything you would like to share yeah. with our listeners about the work that you do as a journalist, professor, writer? Oh, yeah. So classes start tomorrow. So I've been scurrying around for um, several days now, making sure I've got everything ready. And I, I, I direct our journalism program at Wake Forest, and then I teach what what we used to think of as freshman composition, and I also teach journalism. And um, this semester I'm teaching a course called News Literacy, which really looks at the difference between verified, independent, accountable journalism and everything else that comes across our social media feeds. And then in my um, first-year writing class, I actually start the semester off. We, we, we... We all of us who teach first year writing um, teach it around a, a subject or a topic. And for years, I've used um, wrongful conviction as the subject matter. And we start off talking about Daryl Hunt's wrongful conviction um, because it's a really good way to um, help students start thinking about why writing is can be so um, significant in bringing about justice and why and how, as a writer, you can deal with the urgent issues of our time. So that's what I'm getting ready to do tomorrow. Outstanding, outstanding. Reading and writing, more important than watching yeah. television. Give us a quick tip, Ms. Uh, Zerwick. Uh, we, media literacy, we talk about that. That's super important. Give us yeah. a quick tip uh, so that we could be a little bit more accurate, uh, a little bit more savvy when we're online, sleuthing, yeah. looking for information. Yeah, so the first thing to remember is that, you know, we're all sucked into social media now, right? I mean, I, I include myself in that we, but um, all these social media platforms are, what they're really designed to do is to catch our attention so that they can sell advertising, right? So we're we're the product. Our attention is the product. And they're not set up to be um, to be publishers of reliable information. And you know this isn't this isn't the only time that citizens have had to try to figure out the difference between truth and propaganda, but we're living in an age when lies travel so quickly and False information is so insidious that the onus is really on us as citizens to learn how to tell the difference between legitimate news and everything else that's out there. All those conspiracy theories, all that fake news, all that propaganda that lands in our news feeds. Um, so basic quick tips um, you know, you want to check the the source of the of the information, and you know, I, I'm not so naive to think that all the mainstream um, news organizations are flawless, but um, legitimate news organizations 
journalists adhere to principles of accuracy, of truth, and independence. And so chances are, um, if you're reading something out of the New York Times or out of the Washington Post or out of the Guardian in Britain or the LA Times or or even the Wall Street Journal, that at least you can expect that the facts are going to be accurate. And if they're not, there'll be a correction the next day. Um, I think it's really important for readers to um, recognize the difference between something that is meant as a news story versus something that is meant as an opinion. And, you know, so much of what we see on television, on cable news, it's not news, it's labeled news, but it's really talking heads spouting forth opinion, right? Um, and so it's just really important to be aware of, of what the article, in fact, is. Um, and, um, you know, don't trust picture all the pictures you see because pictures and videos can be manipulated. Um, so do a little sleuthing as to the source of the information that you're seeing before you share it and become part of um, propagating a lie. That was more than a quick tidbit. We are still learning. That is super uh, necessary, myself included, things to try to make sure we are striving for accuracy as opposed to just quickly spreading misinformation. Um, I guess, one, before I move forward, and this even comes up in in, uh, the Mm -hmm. book we're going to discuss, Beyond Innocence, you are classified as a white woman. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, Yes, I'm a white Jewish woman um, with frizzy gray hair. Okay. Let's see. Uh, I guess before we, is it on your, I guess if we looked at your birth certificate or something like that, your classification, is it going to say white? That's all it's going to say? White woman? Oh, you know, I don't know. That's a really great question. And I am really, um, you know, the more I learn about race, the more resistant I am to the notion of race as a something to go on a birth certificate because of course as as we all know now or many of us who think about this know race is really a social construct right um i don't remember what it says on my birth certificate but i suppose there's a there is um a box to check race and it would say white and it would say female okay I'm just pointing that out for listeners uh, because there are a number of individuals who are not white with regards to racial classification, but they are so-called Jewish. Uh, Jewish is not a racial classification that can trip some people that we've had individuals as guests on the program who are Jewish, but they are not white. Uh, let's You are aware there are some people oh, who well, are... Oh, that's well, a, that's a... Well, there are black people who are Jews. I don't, I don't quite know wh- why you're bringing in religion at this point but if it's important to your listeners to know um, I my I was raised I'm I'm a unobservant Jew if that seems relevant to you I just want to bring but up for religion listeners is not a, I didn't bring up religion you did cuz I asked about your racial classification and you said that I am a white Jewish woman and I just pointed out for listeners that's not a racial classification oh, did I really Yes, oh, ma'am. Yes, oh, okay. ma'am. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I said that. Yes. 
That's man. Cool. man. I thought I said I was a white woman with curly gray hair. <laughs> no, you slipped the Jewish part in there before we got to the curly gray hair. That's, yes. <laughs> but anyway, oh, white really? woman. Okay. Yes, ma'am. White I apologize. Woman. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, let's get to definition. That's so important. And that's a major part of this book uh, as well, right there with Mr. Hunt, our main subject, victim, man. Mm-hmm. Um, this program, I use the term racism and the term white supremacy as synonyms. Mm-hmm. I use the same definition for both terms. The definition I use is as follows, a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Yes. I mean, of course that system exists. And um, yeah, I think the definition is accurate. Um I, I, I mean, I couldn't have written this book, which is a, a great deal of the point of the book is that it's a story about systemic racism. If I didn't think that systemic racism was a system. Okay. Okay. It told folks that is a big part of the book. Why a uh, listener recommended that I check this book out uh, to begin with. She said she had been doing the research. She'd mm-hmm. seen the film and read your book. Uh, I want to do the title and then we can dig into the specifics about what happened to uh, Mr. Hunt. Uh, the title, again, full title, okay. uh, Beyond Innocence or the Life, the life Sentence of Daryl Hunt. Why that title for this work? Mm-hmm. Well, the first part of the title, I was trying to get at the notion that, you know, we've had so many case exonerations in this country at this point, more than 3,000, and the stories, they always end, you know, in this sort of triumphant tone, somebody's released from prison, they hug their family, they hug their lawyers, and it looks like a story with a happy ending, Right. And I wondered that what this book really gets at is the long-term damage done to anybody who's wrongly convicted, the long-term damage done by um, incarceration and the trauma of this kind of injustice. So the title Beyond Innocence was meant to get at the idea that after somebody is has been found innocent, and you're right, there is no legal declaration of innocence, but after somebody has maintained their innocence and been exonerated, there's a story that happens after that. And um, the, the subtitle, The Life Sentence of Daryl Hunt, that really comes from, um, inter- from Daryl Hunt's own words. He gave uh, a radio interview in, I think it was 2007, um, in which he was talking about how he he got very involved with working with people um, with people coming home from prison with reentry, and he was talking about how it really doesn't matter how long your sentence is 
but that once you've been convicted of a felony, um, it acts as a life sentence because um, you're denied so many, um, you're denied so much once you have that felony conviction. You, it's so difficult to get housing, to get a job, to get a loan, to get an education, all these um, civil rights um, that the rest of us are accustomed to, people with a felony conviction um, can't take part in. And so um, that's where the second part of the title comes from, that um, even after he was exonerated, the, the original convicted conviction acted as a life sentence for him. Context of white supremacy, indeed. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going out of order just because I think this is uh, important context. It is in the book, but I just think this is super important sure. to all of this. You in the book include one of our very, very favorites of all time, Mr. Orenthal James Simpson. Um, you were alive, I guess, when the 1995 murder trial happened uh did you did you watch did you have an opinion on that whole fiasco i didn't hear who you were talking about are you talking about the oj simpson case oh yes ma'am i said and i think the connection yeah the connection isn't great and i didn't that was in 1995 yeah i was alive and working at the winston-salem journal um do i have an opinion about whether he was guilty or innocent um, is that the question? About the case? Yes, yes. The case and or his guilt yeah. innocence. Yeah, wow. It's been a really long time since I've thought about that in in any detail. Um, I think, um, I don't really know how to answer the question. I think what I remember feeling at the time was that the evidence was not the evidence against him was not very strong but i don't have a i don't have a well thought out a um view um since then and i haven't thought about it in a long time and i'm sorry oh, no apologies it's been almost 30 years no apologies um, yeah <laughs> but it is mentioned in the book that's why i brought it up i mean i re- yeah yeah, well, I remember, um, you know, I was a pretty young reporter there, and I think I was assigned to do kind of, you know, a man-on-the-street response to the case while it was going on. Mm-hmm. And I remember so clearly just what a dividing line it was, you know, how how clearly um, black people I interviewed were on his side and white people had a very different point of view about it and thought that thought that he was thought that he was guilty. Um, I remember my father at the time he was retired and he watched the whole thing on television. And um, I know that he was not convinced of OJ Simpson's guilt based on watching the whole thing on television. And I, and that certainly that certainly um, stuck with me. And I suppose the reason it comes up in the book is that um, Daryl Hunt's case certainly was a kind of bellwether for this community in the same way the O.J. Simpson case was for the nation. Um, and it was 
and this this community was very clearly divided um, really for 20 years up until his exoneration um, in in how they thought about the case. And in general, I mean, there were some black people who thought he was guilty, but in general, black people um, thought that he'd been railroaded. And in general, white people thought that the system believed in the system and believed that after um, all the trials, the two criminal trials and the, the many, many rounds of appeals, um, white people in general believed that the justice system had worked and that he was in all likelihood guilty. And, right. and that, was, that was the comparison I was making with the Simpson case. Yes, ma'am. That, and that's... She is accurate. That's the way that she brings it up in the book in terms of black people in yeah, North Carolina yeah. supporting Mr. Hunt, whereas white people are like, I don't know. He, yeah. my, and it's a white woman that he killed. We didn't get to the details of all that yet, but I mean, oh, it's a white victim. My girl, we got a retribution. Can't have this, especially not in North Carolina. Um, and that was the same parallel for the O.J. Simpson case. I find it fascinating. Just your father, I don't want to assume, is a white man, I, I assume? Yes. Yeah, he was. Okay. Um, she said that her dad watched the trial and by the time he got to the end he was not convinced that they had evidence that mr simpson was guilty of this crime that is fascinating because when we did our book study on oj simpson they had studies they showed the exact same pattern the people who actually dug in and watched the trial and saw all the evidence and everything much higher percentage said eh, not guilty whatever i think whatever no you don't have the evidence the people who just looked at the news clips and watched tv they were certain he did it he cheated they played the race card which man that once we read the book and looked at the evidence buddy it doesn't have no racism in fact even to drill down further, and I just want to make sure I didn't miss. So you said you were a young journalist, just getting your your feet wet and everything, uh, going out and doing these interviews. The person yeah. on the street, and you know, what do you think? And that's how you knew the divide. Were you covering this while you were in Winston Salem, North Carolina, at the time? Sure. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. Do you? Yeah, remember- I was at the Winston Salem Journal. Do I remember? Do you remember Go how on, the O.J. Simpson case specifically intersects with North Carolina? No, I'm sorry, I don't. Wow. Okay. This is my pushback for why I brought this up right now, because I think this is enormous. Please. Uh, this, wow. So for listeners, Jesus Christ, it's it's like O.J. Simpson heard me say that the Columbine is now going to be our new number one. He's like, no, 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 not so fast. No way. Brunthal James is number one forever. So this is the second time this summer that I've had to bring up O.J. Simpson with a white author and say, wow, this is an egregious error. Last time I said this is a one-letter grade error in terms of the omission. (laughs) This time, this is like a a two-and-a-half-letter grade omission um, for... Oh, my gosh, what did I miss? And it's even, in fact, because you were there, this is like a Mm three-letter grade omission because you were right there at the epicenter of this and you were alive and grown and knew that it's like, oh, my God. Okay, so I'm going to the Winston-Salem Chronicle, which you've heard of, Negro newspaper uh, in North Carolina. This is from August 3, 1995. You would have been there as a journalist. They write, 
Blacks decry ruling in subpoena hearing. Key witness does not have to testify at O.J. Simpson trial. Local African-Americans express disbelief with the decision of a Forsyth County Superior Court judge who denied a motion last week to enforce a subpoena that would have compelled a North Carolina School of Arts professor to testify in the O.J. Simpson murder trial in Los Angeles. This is bombshell oh, evidence. I remember all of that now. Yes. Okay. I remember. I, I do need to continue. remember that. I do need I to keep reading, I told you when though. we started talking that I hadn't thought about this in a while, yes. but keep going. I yes. completely remember that. She was a professor at the School of the Arts, and she'd worked on on a documentary or something having to do with We'll keep going. Yes, I remember now. Let us continue. This is bombshell evidence because it impeaches Mark Furman, said Johnny Cochran, the lead defense attorney for Simpson. This is the worst decision in the history of jurisprudence. It was an outrageous ruling and we are going to appeal. It is always a setback when relevant material is not allowed in a murder trial. Simpson's defense team mm. was expected to file the appeal this week with the North Carolina Court of Appeals. A three-judge panel will likely hear mm. the case in Winston-Salem. Judge William Z. Wood ruled that, that the audio tapes and manuscript of an interview between Los Angeles Detective Mark Furman and Laura Hart mm. McKinney, a screenwriting teacher at NCSA, mm -hmm. were collateral evidence in mm -hmm. the double murder trial of Simpson. A screenplay is an act of fiction, Wood said, as 200 people jammed into the Forsyth County Superior Courtroom last Friday. He, Furman, was helping her with the dialogue, and therefore the material is not relevant. McKinney wrote a book entitled Men Against Women, a fictional account based on the hostility between the hostility between male and female. Gotta flip the page. Male and female members of the Los Angeles Police Department. Simpson's attorney maintained that Furman, who is white, is a racist planted evidence against Simpson and participated in an LAPD conspiracy to frame the former football star for the murders. Wood conducted a subpoena hearing because McKinney challenged an order issued by Judge Lance Ito that she testify at the Los Angeles trial. The fact that Furman may be a racist is really not the issue, Wood said. Simpson's attorney had filed a motion to enforce a court order from Judge Lance Ito instructing McKinney to testify for the defense in Los Angeles and submit the tapes. Out of the courts, out of state courts cannot force the cannot force someone from the North Carolina to testify unless a North Carolina judge enforces a subpoena. This is the way for it. Well, I had to read so much. Larry Little a Winston-Salem defense mm. lawyer said that he disagreed <laughs> with the Woods' ruling. Her material was very relevant, said Little, who founded the Daryl Hunt Defense Committee in Winston-Salem. It showed that Furman was a racist and a liar. And it goes on to give more detail, but that's why, that's or at least that's part, the other portion, I cannot believe we literally just talked about this last Monday in details. Stephen Singular wrote a whole book about this, saying what a spectacular mm. failure by white journalists to cover this accurately. The other part is because this whole book is about a black male being unjustly convicted for a crime he didn't commit. And it seems like by the time you get to the end, like, dang, they knew he didn't do this. They had evidence that they lie. 
Did they cover up? Did they fabricate evidence? That is exactly why Johnny Cochran and F. Lee Bailey came to Winston-Salem in the summer of 1995. That's what was on the tapes. Everyone should know that. They don't even yeah, have that now. That is exactly the cross or the connection should not be there was divisiveness. It should be dang. This is the O.J. Simpson trial all over again where a black male accused of wrongdoing against a white woman and you got racist white police lying, fabricating evidence, making up whatever. We're going to get that nigger all. That's what the whole thing was about. That's why I said that's like a three letter grade omission. Like you were right there and to forget and to make that connection like if O.J. Simpson didn't have Johnny Cochran, he could have been in the exact same boat as Mr. Hunt, and we'd have been, dang, he'd been in jail for 20 years. Maybe he didn't, maybe he didn't do that after all. Dang, maybe, maybe they railroaded him too if he didn't have old Dream Team and F. Lee Bailey where they had all that money to grow cross country and challenge evidence and make them ask 50 questions. That's why I said that's where we have to bring this up like, Wow, three letter grade omission for this. Your thoughts? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm embarrassed that I didn't remember that, um, but it all comes back to me now. Um, but I, I think that, um, and as I said, I have not thought about the O.J. Simpson case in a long time, but I think that Daryl Hunt's case stands on its own and is also part of a long history of systemic racism in the legal system in North Carolina. And it, to me, it's, it's a very different case from the OJ Simpson case, even though the themes are very similar um, in part, because as you just mentioned, Daryl Hunt did not have the resources that OJ Simpson had. So OJ Simpson was able to hire that dream team, right? And Daryl Hunt was like um, thousands of other black men who are unjustly accused of crimes and have to rely on court-appointed attorneys. Um, and I, so I suppose, to me, the context is... Uh, I'm, 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 I'm having trouble putting into words what I mean, but... To me, the context is much larger than a comparison with the O.J. Simpson case. I think it's a fair comparison to make, but to me, it's a, there's a much larger context here. Oh, I agree. That larger context would be the global system of white yeah. supremacy racism. But yeah. we to have where they actually came to the exact same city. I think that might be the same court. Uh, and even got denied the first time around, just like old Mr. Hunt, even with the dream team, they had to do an appeal and everything else to get all of this. Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. that is extraordinary in my opinion. And I would even, if we're just looking at the comparisons between these two cases, police fabrication of evidence, black suspect totally cooperated with the police. Mr. Hunt went I'll do whatever you want me to do. I ask your questions. You all Absolutely. go and ask polygraph. I'll do whatever you want me to do. OJ Simpson did the exact same thing. In fact, they both went and talked to the police with no attorney. What do I have to hide? I didn't do anything. They both did the same thing. 
Uh, the, they continue. Every got the Winston Salem connection that I just said. Everybody had to go to Winston Salem to go to court on this one. Uh, the police not just fabricated evidence; they flat out lied. Uh, in these cases, both of them in a variety of ways, even lied on the search warrant in the O.J. Simpson case. Uh, you had no. Murder. No, they lied on the search warrant in Daryl Hunt's case too. <laughs> With the shirt, that's right. They got all that with the deny. And no murder weapon, which for folks in the true crime community, that is always like enormous. You don't have the smoke. Like what? Where's the knife? Where's the, where's the no murder weapon for either case? But man, lots of similarities. That, yeah, lots I can say about that. But move forward. Now we can rewind that I got that out of the way. We can rewind context specifically for the case of Daryl Hunt before I even get to his case exactly I guess let's Mm -hmm. back up and give specific context so North Carolina history they said we do not want Mr. Hunt to be the next Clyde Brown who is Clyde Brown yeah yeah so Clyde Brown um, was a 19 year old man living in Winston-Salem in 1950 and um he was accused of there was a oh my gosh it was a clock store a radio store in downtown winston-salem and the teenage daughter of the owner was you know manning the store one day and she was attacked the store was robbed i think there was some three dollars in the cash register and she was beaten and left unconscious in the store. And um, the there was it, it was unclear whether she'd been sexually assaulted. She was in a coma for a month and could remember nothing of the attack and the the medical exam in the hospital. It was unclear whether she'd been raped or sexually attacked. Um, but Clyde Brown, he had been, somebody saw him in the store and he was very quickly arrested and tried for rape and convicted. And, um, it, there was a really strong activist community in Winston-Salem. It was mostly older women who had been active in the union effort at Reynolds Tobacco Company in the thirties and forties. Um, the union had been decertified in the late 40s, and I think it was 1949, and that's sort of a whole side story tangent um, if you want to talk about independence and news literacy, but basically the Winston-Salem Journal had been involved with um, shutting down that union um, by hiring uh, a former FBI agent to be a reporter who wrote stories about communist ties within the union leadership. Um, Anyway, that was a tangent, but in any event, in 1950, there were these um, strong activists in town, mostly women and church leaders, and they organized a defense committee for Clyde Brown because at the time, rape was a capital offense, and he'd been he was going to be executed and um, they appealed his conviction. They raised money from all over the United States. Um, 
Angela Davis, the activist, was involved with raising money for for him, but ultimately the legal efforts failed and and he was executed in spite of some evidence of innocence. He was ex- executed in in 1953. Um, and the reason it's relevant to Daryl Hunt's story is that um, Daryl Hunt's primary champion was Larry Little, who you just mentioned, who was who was by then a city councilman, um, but he had been the founder of the Black Panther Party in Winston-Salem, which was the first Black Panther chapter in the South. And he'd been raised by a woman who was a tobacco worker. So he'd grown up with a story about Clyde Brown. And uh, when he started organizing in churches um, to raise money for Daryl Hunt's defense, um, he talked about older people coming up to him and saying, you know, thank, thank you for doing this. We can't let Daryl become another Clyde Brown. In other words, uh, we can't let this other 19-year-old black man um, be executed for this crime. You write, this is uh, in Chapter 3 from Beyond Innocence, Clyde mm-hmm. Brown lived a fast life. And this is uh, you quoting from the Winston-Salem Journal. Clyde yeah, Brown, I didn't write that. <laughs> right, right, just clarifying. Clyde Brown lived a fast life and became a corpse at the peak of his manhood. Yesterday, less than a month before his 23rd birthday, he walked into Central Prison's execution chamber and was put to death for the rape of a 17-year-old Winston-Salem high school girl who was brutally beaten June 16, 1950. The muscular Negro held his head aloft as he entered the gas chamber from death row which had been his home for nearly three years he was silent but months before he had told prison authorities that he made a clean confession of his guilt clothed only in a pair of white undershorts he stretched to his full five feet nine inches and flexed the powerful muscles of his shoulders and chest the taut muscles took the slack from two strips of white tape that held to his chest a medical instrument that was to record his heartbeat and then now we're back to our writer, or our guest, sorry, uh, Ms. Serwick. Uh, there was a second man scheduled to die with Brown that day, a 45-year-old black man named Raleigh Speller, convicted of raping a deaf white woman. He had been tried in Bertie County in rural eastern North Carolina, where 60% of the population was black, though as far as court officials could remember, not a single black person had ever sat on a jury echo 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 the process for selecting jurors in bertie county guaranteed black disenfranchisement a child would arbitrarily pull the names of potential jurors from a hat gotta be a white child with those of black residents in red ink when the prosecutor selected a name written in red the juror would be dismissed for want of good moral character or sufficient intelligence footnoted gotta love it <laughs> that is the con and i mean this is not ancient history we're talking 1950s no. uh yeah that's not yeah i'm sure there's some folks out there maybe even listening um, still be with us 70 years ago <laughs> actually exactly 70 years ago right 53 mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. yes Good 70 math. years ago yeah yeah 
North, yeah. Car- North Carolina. Uh, it's uh, chilling to to see the way that an execution could be written about in the you know in the local newspaper. Reagan, we had talked about that with media literacy. That is important too, being mm-hmm. aware of racism, white supremacy, and how even that operates in mainstream newspapers. Um, adding just yeah, a tad absolutely. bit. A tad bit more context for North Carolina history. I saw the name Joan Little. We talked about her before with Danielle mm-hmm. McGuire, but you talked about the history in North Carolina of activism and rallying around black people when they have been accused mm-hmm. of these really egregious crimes. I remember, I think yeah. Joan Little is important because, hey, black self defense to kill, or never mind. Yes, can you give us some of the context for Joan Little? Yeah, so she was a young woman. Um, in, let me think if I've got the date right. I might have to look it up. I think it was 1970 or 1971, around this time of year. She was living in eastern North Carolina in the town of Washington. Um, so eastern North Carolina is large uh, black population because it was the part of the state where you know, you could grow cotton and have plantations versus this part of the state, was, which was more of a manufacturing um, part of the state. And um, she was in jail, in the county jail, in um, Beaufort County Jail, um, for facing a larceny charge um, or breaking and entering charge. And um, one night... Um, the jailer, who was a 62-year-old white man, um, and, and the jail was run very casually. Um, so, um, you know, I think one of the things this man would do would be to bring in sandwiches and share food with female inmates. There was not a female warden. It was it was all run very very casually, and he came into her cell. Um, with an ice pick and uh, forced her um, to engage in oral sex with him. And um, she defended herself and grabbed the ice pick and and hit him or poked at him with the ice pick. And he fell to the ground and she fled. Um, Now she went it came time to testify. She testified that she didn't even know that she killed him. She was just running for her life. You know, this man had attacked her. She fought back um, and she fled and she hid in, um, under, in a house under somebody's bed for several days. Now at that time, there was a law called, I don't remember what it was called, the Fugitive Act, I think, where police could shoot, um, a fugitive and she was a fugitive um but there was um again you mentioned um this tradition of activism in north carolina and some activists in um washington north carolina got in touch with a a lawyer in chapel hill which is where um the flagship campus of the university of north carolina is and and um, he agreed to represent her and he was able, well, he actually went and picked her up in 
Washington, North Carolina, where she'd been in hiding for several days, and brought her back to Chapel Hill and arranged for her surrender. Um, and she surrendered, and he represented her at trial. And, you know, again, um, there was there was a group of activists in Chapel Hill who supported her and in Washington. And eventually the Black Panther Party that Larry Little and Winston-Salem had founded got involved in, in her defense committee. And I misspoke earlier. Angela Davis, of course, had not been uh, working on the Clyde Brown case. It was, that was in the fifties that she got involved with the Joan Little case. And, um, Joan, Joanne Little ended up testifying in her own defense. She had excellent legal representation. They were able to get the trial moved from her home county to Raleigh. So they were able to get um, black jurors on the jury. And remarkably, she was acquitted. Um, it, she was the, it was, it was a remarkable case that they won their, her acquittal given the history of North Carolina and, and this region. Um, it, it wasn't even really a crime um, for a white man to, to rape and sexually assault um, a black woman. Um, this was still an era in North Carolina when a man could legally rape his wife. So the, the idea that she was acquitted in, in 1971 was an absolutely remarkable victory. Super important case uh, talked about. We talked, like I said, Danielle McGuire, she talks about that case as uh, part of a pattern of cases where black uh, people, males and females, did as much as they could to try to mm -hmm. uh, support uh, black females who had been sexually uh, abused, raped, uh, or there was some sort of attempt mm -hmm. to rape them. They tried to do the best that they could to stop this and defend them uh, many times from very weak mm -hmm. positions. This is one of those examples. Uh, you talk about even your own personal context, not being born in North Carolina, but coming down here to kind of start your mm -hmm. journalism career. And you give kind of precise yeah. details about that context in the book. Uh, you write specifically, this is in uh, the author's note. You write, I began working right. as a bureau reporter in Lexington, a furniture town, a half hour mm -hmm. south of Winston-Salem with enough character to satisfy my romantic notions of the South. The sheriff, <laughs> Paul R. Jaybird McCrary, ran the local Democratic Party machine. His detectives made fun of the New York the paper had sent to town, but they were kind to me and let me read through their case files and follow them around crime scenes. And I learned about Southern justice from the district attorney, H.W. Butch Zimmerman, whose office was decorated with Confederate memorabilia. Defense attorneys would gather there on Friday afternoons while he read excerpts from his collection of slaveholder diaries, many about their sexual exploits with enslaved women recited not as stories of rape, but for the entertainment of the men in the room. Zimmerman tried the murder cases himself, and lawyers from as far away as Raleigh and Charlotte would come to watch him and to learn from his legendary courtroom theatrics he rarely lost. Now that is, I mean, wow. 
a dosing of uh, Southern. And I mean, even that pattern to just hear that uh, with the Joan Little where you said, hey, that's not even a crime, really, uh, for a white man to rape a black Mm -hmm. female, girl, woman, whatever. You know, we're talking about like, that's not even really a crime. And really throughout the country, that's not really a crime. And then much less to see where you have these would be the pillars of the community are bragging about the history of raping black females. Like, wow. That's extraordinary, right? What to say? And this, again, is not ancient. This put time stamp this for us again now. Mm, 1987 and 1988. Okay. Wow. That... That's saying quite a bit about white culture. Nobody thinks that this is questionable or what have you. Just, hey, let's regale us with some of the old slave tales about raping the nigger woman. Um, yeah, I did a book reading in, in Lexington last last summer. Mm-hmm. Not not this past, not this current center, but last summer. And um, there was a, there's a, black judge in Lexington now who'd been a defense attorney of that era and um, yeah, the black city councilwoman um, from, from that time, both of them came and yeah, they, uh, they thought that that passage had nailed the, 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 the time frame Well, one thing to say about Butch Zimmerman is that a lot of his convictions were eventually overturned, you know, because of his theatrics in part. Wow. But after he was a prosecutor, he went on to become a judge. Oh. oh. In that district. Mm, that, <laughs> man, that is, uh, mm. <laughs> I don't know what to, I don't know how to feel about that. Like, man, uh, that, I don't know what to say about that. Well, the facts speak for themselves, I would say. Wow. That's then even I said now with the Duke lacrosse case, I think about Mr. Nifong. Mm-hmm. What I said was, dang, I suspect this is probably not the first time that he has tampered with evidence. Uh, Nifong was the prosecuting attorney in the lacrosse case, and they found out that he had been uh, improper with the samples and not sharing all the information and all the rest. And I said, dang, I suspect he's done this before. And they same thing, start looking at other cases like, whoo, man, the history of yeah. North Carolina jurisprudence. Wow. Uh, that's one part. Uh, in terms of context, you also talk even about more current history with one of the local Proud Boys in North Carolina who participated in the insurrection on January 6th that's still being adjudicated. Was there a reason that you didn't name Charles Donahoe specifically? No. Um, I think that was in the introduction, and it was, it was I, I just wasn't getting into detail i was just trying to kind of paint a picture of what was happening um in north carolina you know as i was writing okay gotcha gotcha one of these local hooligans uh who i, I guess mean that's a good question but there was no re yeah i mean he wasn't I, I i suppose i didn't think he was well known enough and it was just a sentence so um um uh, i i didn't see the point in naming him Gotcha. Just wanted, I checked just for, I was curious, who is this? 
who is this fella? Uh, yeah. Charles Donahoe, uh, folks. Yeah. Are curious. Yeah. Uh, convicted in North Carolina, one of these hooligans. Uh, you stole the election. All the rest of it. Um, all right. So with Mr. Hunt specifically, uh, so there's mm-hmm. a white woman, Deborah, Sy- fellow journalist like it. Was that part of the poll for this story or no? Uh, the fact that it was a fellow journalist who uh, was raped and killed in all of this? Or was it really just more about Mr. Hunt? Um, no, the pull of the story, um, I mean, you know, there, there's certainly a sense of connection that it was somebody very similar to me, but that was not the pull of the story. And it certainly was not the reason for writing the book. The reason for writing the book was, was to fully understand the injustice done to him and the long-term trauma done by a wrongful conviction and incarceration. So the, the book is really not, it's not about the victim. It's about Daryl Hunt. And actually it's also to some extent there, there was, um, there was another woman who was raped by the same man who was eventually convicted of the crime that Hunt served 20 years for. And I suppose the book is partly about her. Her name is Regina Lane. And one thing that um, I'm always struck by in these cases of wrongful conviction is when the state makes a mistake and convicts the wrong person. It means that there's a, and if there was indeed a crime committed, which there was in this case, it means that there is a person who's con- committed a heinous act who who is free and out there. And in this case, um, the man who raped and murdered Deborah Sykes had raped another woman and he probably raped other women. But the, the, um, the wheels of justice, you know, once they were fixated on convicting this black man, that became more important than finding justice for a young um, 19-year-old white woman who was brutally raped. And uh, that's really um, compelling to me that that um, our system is so unwilling to face its own mistakes that they would essentially sacrifice this young woman to maintain the conviction of a black man. So to me, the story is more about Regina Lane than it is about the original victim in the case. I see. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You do uh, include that as well, uh, Regina. Well, I guess she gets married and all that. So I guess uh, is Lane, is that that it now? Kellner or Lane? Keller, Lane, Keller. Yes. Oh, excuse me. Yes. There's so many characters in this story (laughs) that it's hard to keep track of them. She's yes. When she was attacked, she was Regina Keller, and then she married, and she's now Regina Lane. Got it. Okay. Um, then and you you talk about that that uh, these rapes happened at the same time, mm-hmm. and enforcement officers, as mm-hmm. opposed to hey, let's look at a pattern. As you said, might be the same suspect who might be perpetrating a lot of these crimes. As opposed to that, they mm-hmm. fix in early in with Deborah Sykes. She's a young white woman journalist 
creates a lot of attention、mm-hmm. immediately. There's lots of money, thousands of dollars immediately come in for reward money. Like if you get tips, we can get an arrest. There's lots of pressure. We can't、mm-hmm. have white women,、uh, prominent white journalists, females being killed and raped、uh, out in public like this. And you even write before Daryl Hunt is convicted and arrested of all of this, he's given a chance. Hey, we got twelve thousand dollars. Say your friend. Snitch on old Sammy. Say he did it. Twelve thousand dollars is yours. Take the deal. And he refuses. Like that.、Mm-hmm. Even that. Like,、yeah. wait a minute. Time out. Like, what in the world? <laughs> like, with as you just said. Like, justice. Are we really concerned about justice, or is it just any black person that we can convict? No big deal. If we convict Sammy, no prop. We convict Daryl, no prop. Any of you all will do, and we just move on. Meanwhile, the real rapist is. Out there, but that's stunning in and of itself,、um, Mr. Hunts. I don't know what you call that integrity. It's turn- stunning. Yeah, that's what I would call it.、Um, his his integrity was remarkable, and and strength. I mean, um, um, he was you know a young man. He'd been orphaned at a young age. He was uneducated. Essentially homeless、um, that summer,、um, but he had this tremendous reserve of strength and integrity. The integrity、um, he would say came from his grandfather, who who was strict and you know raised him well, and he he kept that integrity、um, throughout this twenty year ordeal. He、um, five years into all of this, he was offered a plea agreement. He he got out.、Um, his case was appealed, and he got out. And there was a second trial scheduled, so he was he was out on bond, and he was offered a plea deal that would have allowed him um, um, to plead guilty for time served. In other words, they were going to allow him to plead guilty to this. Horrific crime, and、um, let him go home after serving five years in prison. So that tells me a lot about what the state thought of、um, his guilt or innocence, right? If you really believed you had the guilty man, there's no way、um, you would settle for a five-year prison term for somebody who had raped and stabbed anybody to death, right?、Um, and he turned that down. Um, because he would not、um, plead guilty to a crime that he had not committed,、um, so that to me、um, was as remarkable as his rejection five years earlier of that twelve thousand dollars in reward money. Context of white supremacy, Bibi Zerwick, author,、mm-hmm. journalist, professor. Uh, even to put kind of generational context on Mr. Hunt, and you talked about the relationship was kind of homeless、uh, at the time that this murder happens.、Mm-hmm. He gets accused of all of this, and the relationship that he had to his grandfather. He just, I guess, for context, Gene Hunt. He doesn't find out who his biological mother is until way later in life, and then by the time that he does. She gets killed. Can you give some of the background for Gene、yeah. Hunt,、uh, his mom? Sure.、Uh, 
Um, so Daryl Hunt and his brother, his older brother, Willie, were raised by their grandparents. Um, and um, they would see their mother, who, who had given birth to them when she was a teenager. Um, they would see her, her regularly. She'd come over every weekend, and sometimes she'd take them to her neighborhood. She had an apartment in a different part of town. And they thought of her as um, kind of like an aunt or a cousin. But, you know, they knew they they were related to her, um, but they didn't know she was their mother. Um, what Daryl did know is that he really loved being around her and she would take them places. She, she lived in um, near the tobacco factories in town in an area that um, was... Um, kind of a very thriving um, black um, business community, basically. And um, there were black-owned cafes and stores and funeral homes and law offices and shoe stores, all of that along this street that was then called Depot Street. It's now Patterson Avenue, um, and it was right across the street from all the big tobacco factories. And so what Daryl did know was that he just really loved being around her. She was fun and um, they got a lot of attention and she knew everybody and um, where his grandparents lived was quieter and more boring and, you know, they were older and strict. <laughs> and um, then his grandma, his grandmother died when he was nine years old and um his mother, Jean, was going to come back home and live with them and help the grandfather raise the two boys. And um, so his grandfather sat him down, both he and his brother down, and told them that um, Jean, who they thought was their aunt, that she was really their mother and that she was going to come home and, and help raise them. And then within a week or two, she was murdered um, in, in front of her apartment. She was murdered in a kind of um, by another woman who was jealous. Well, not jealous. It was a woman who was upset that Jean was um, dating her younger brother, her little brother. And so Daryl lost, well, he lost his grandmother and then he lost his mother really all within a couple of months. After even just shortly finding out, tell me about it. That, yeah. Oh, this is my mom, and then, bang! Like yeah. uh, generational uh, trauma, uh, often for non-white people victims Absolutely. of racism. Um, so that's kind of the whole beginning of all of this for Daryl Hunt. And I even appreciate that in terms of education and what have you for us thinking this is a pretty young guy at the time when they're coming and snatching him and asking him all of these questions. It's not like he's uh, enrolled yeah. at Duke or UNC Chapel Hill. And, you know, he's studying about to go to no. law school and sophisticated understanding of the world and law. And, Oh, I got my lawyer on retainer. Like, no, I don't think that's the end. Again, he cooperated. He's not even trying to be criminal. He, volunteer oh officer you want to go to sure nothing no he and his uh, best friend sammy no problem we'll cooperate what do you want to do they split them up talk sure no problem stay in touch 
Go ahead. The thing that's so poignant to me about that period of Daryl Hunt's life is that the reason he befriended Sammy Mitchell and was so loyal to him is that Sammy Mitchell, well, Sammy Mitchell was about 10 years older than Daryl Hunt, and Sammy Mitchell had been friends with Daryl Hunt's mother. And so he was really searching for for um, a connection to to his mother, to to know people who had known her, who could tell him about her. Um, so it was really tied up with his desire for for family connection, really. And um, he saw Sammy Mitchell as a kind of a brother figure. Um, and they were, yeah, they were they were very very close to each other that summer, and his loyalty to Sammy was was profound. Wow, twelve thousand dollars! He could have not went to jail and got twelve thousand dollars. Hmm. Exactly, and he wouldn't do it. And I talked to my students about that because you know they're I teach first year writing, so they're. You know, same age Daryl Hunt was. And I, I say to them, you know, would you have had the integrity to go to jail when you could just rat out your friend for $12,000 and escape going to jail? Hmm. Hey, even take the money off the table. How many people, hey, yeah. you're going to jail or your friend, pick one. <laughs> like, no money. Who's going to yeah. do that? Like, come on. Come on. Uh, yeah. Just for, I guess, for uh, additional context before I get back to, I do think it's important uh, what you mentioned with Regina Lane uh, with regards to the pattern of these rapes mm-hmm. happening and them not being investigated correctly uh, and how racism impacted that yeah. investigation. But the other aspect of racism with Daryl Hunt specifically, because he was engaged in sexual activity, consensual, but engaged in sexual activity mm-hmm. with little bit Margaret Crawford, this underage mm-hmm white female can you tell us how that factored into him eventually being arrested and if you even think that that was maybe a part of the racist animus that got him arrested oh that's a good question well it certainly led to his arrest so he was um involved with this young white um prostitute named little bit um and he um his connection to her is basically what led to his his arrest um because um well it's the the whole the circumstances are so convoluted and complicated but they were somebody thought they'd seen you know the suspect um downtown near the crime scene um, a couple of weeks after the murder, and the police knew that Daryl hung around with Little Bit. It wasn't entirely clear whether he was her protector, her pimp. She sometimes did give him money, but I don't think that he was really her pimp in the way we think of somebody as running a prostitution ring. Um, and um, so police um, picked her up and um, she said, no, it couldn't have been Daryl Hunt who this witness saw this morning because he was with me. And, you know, she was like, she was a child. She was, turned out she was really only 14 
And so she said to the detective something along the lines of, and if he needs an alibi from any other day, he was, you know, I can give you that too. And, um, and then when the police found out that she was underage, um, that, that gave them grounds to arrest Hunt and get him into custody uh, for taking indecent liberties with a minor. Um, and then um, she, they began threatening her and badgering her about inf- for information about the crime that Hunt was suspected in, the murder of Deborah Sykes. And she started talking about how Hunt had come back that morning with grass stains on his knees and that he told her that Sammy did it. And so it was her statement given under duress because she was afraid um, that led to the actual charge against Daryl Hunt. Now your question about whether the fact that she was right, white, whether that led to the racial animus the police had against Hunt um I don't actually think that made that much difference, except it, you know, I think that the police at the time had such a misunderstanding about what rape was um, that they, I, I think some of them might have felt that, oh, he has a white girlfriend. That means he likes white women. That means he would rape a white woman. Um, but I don't think that they were particularly sympathetic to um little bit because of her rape because of her race white woman gone wrong as we heard from uh murphy allegedly um, exactly hmm. did I, well one i guess if, if i heard it correctly you said you don't think the police at that time had a correct understanding of race is that how you phrased it of rape of rape 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 you know, i, I got think you. they thought of rape as a as a as uh, not as an act of violence, but as 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 a crime of passion, when in fact it's a re- it's a crime of violence. Rape. I see. I got you. I and, got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, and they didn't treat. I mean, they treated rape victims horribly. Uh, the way Regina Lane was treated by the by the detectives who this some of the they weren't all the same detectives but they were some of the same detectives i mean she was she was almost treated she was a woman who had been raped and stabbed seven eight nine times um and had managed to um, wrestle the knife away from her attacker and run to a nearby apartment complex for help. I mean, she had clearly um, been assaulted and they treated her like she might have made up the attack. That's crazy. Um, Yeah. Um, So, you know, the department at that time, um, I would say was um, not only racist, but also deeply misogynistic. Much like Mark Furman on those tapes, they had to go to Winston-Salem to retrieve. Um, with yeah. Regina Lane, uh, and you talked about her mm-hmm. treatment, when she goes in, 
and she says hey do you she's asking correct questions hey do you think what happened to me do you think that's related to this Deborah Sykes case and even these are two yeah. similar looking white women and sometimes that can even like hey maybe the this perpetrator they have a profile that they're you know picking a specific type of victim to prey upon yeah and they happen within two blocks of each other at the same time of day basics right of police work that's not being done and they tell her that the suspect willard brown oh no, no no couldn't be because he was in custody uh at the time when this deborah sykes uh thing happened uh, and it turns out that that was not true. Uh, they find out much later, or mm-hmm. we find out, we find out later on. Based on your research, do you think the enforcement officers, do you think they were lying? Do you think they knew at the time that Mr. Brown, that he was not in custody, that it, he could have been a suspect? Or do you think that they really just made a mistake and they, they just made an error, that they thought he was, genuinely thought that Mr. Brown was still in custody when that wasn't the case? I think, I don't know, but I think what's more relevant to me here is they, first of all, hid the any evidence about a possible connection between the two crimes, and they also were so determined to prosecute Daryl Hunt, and Regina Lane made the connection between the two crimes well and well before Daryl Hunt's first trial, and this was in February and he didn't go to trial till the end of May. So there were um, three or four months um, when they they had ample time to investigate whether or not there w- it was the same um, perpetrator. Um, but I think the the um, I think the systemic race the the racism that infects the system led to so much blindness. And so much determination to just prosecute this black kid that they had in custody that they just buried and ignored everything that had happened to this, um, to, um, Regina Lane. Um, so I don't know whether they had gone to double check or whether they hadn't bothered to double check. I, you know, I don't have any way of knowing whether they knew or didn't know at the time that, um, Willard Brown was was actually not in custody. Um, but I think what really matters is their determination to prosecute Daryl Hunt at all costs. At all costs, including uh, the fabrication. That's why I said the O.J. Simpson connection is so important because so mm-hmm. many people are not well informed uh, about what was on those tapes and those allegations of planting evidence, particularly against Negras and especially against Negras who are engaged in sexual activity with a white woman. Um, the mm-hmm. spider web shirt becomes, I think a mm-hmm. critical piece of the, Hey, it looks like there was some willful deception to frame up their railroad. Yeah. I think is the term. What's the significance of the spider web shirt? Oh my gosh, it's so complicated to explain. <laughs> but um, the search warrant that was used to search the apartment where Sammy Mitchell's mother lived and where Daryl Hunt kept his belongings because he was basically homeless um, mentioned that witnesses had seen a suspect wearing a shirt with a spiderweb design. Um, 
which indeed they found among Daryl Hunt's possessions because he had indeed purchased a t- some kind of T-shirt with a spiderweb design, um, but he had evidence, which actually was evidence that Larry Little was able to obtain, that that T-shirt wasn't even in the store where he bought it until after the crime. So witnesses could not have seen him wearing that T-shirt. But um, but the search warrant, it turns out, um, was fabricated because none of the witnesses none of the statements from witnesses who had seen Deborah Sykes on the street with a, um, a black man um, had none of those statements mentioned a, um, a t-shirt with a spider web design. So, and I don't remember, I'm sorry, because there are so many details in this case. I don't remember where the detectives learned that Daryl Hunt had a T-shirt with a spider web design, but it was not from one of the witnesses. And so they created this search warrant that um, that guaranteed that they would find what they were looking for. So it was completely fabricated. And it actually became... Um, some of these pieces, some of some of this deception was discovered after Daryl Hunt's exoneration, when the police went back. The city um, appointed two police officers to go back and review the entire investigation, and um, the report that the city did after Daryl Hunt's exoneration provided evidence that Daryl Hunt was able to use in a civil rights civil case against the city that was settled and that um, led to um, a one and a half one more than like one point eight million dollar settlement for him for essentially the frame up and cover up so that 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 search warrant was critical to this whole story. I love it. I think it's so poetic that it was a black uh, officer, Chuck Byram, who was integral in kind of piecing yeah. together what happened in the investigation yeah. that you were talking about later on. You write specifically about this. This is uh, from Chapter 16, Beyond Innocence. Uh, the only mm-hmm. plausible explanation for the detail of the spiderweb T-shirt was that Dalton used what Crawford told him about the shirt to write a search warrant indicating that a witness who saw Hunt near the crime scene had seen him in the shirt. Writing the warrant that way guaranteed that when police searched the apartment where Hunt kept his things, they would find something that could be used to confirm what eyewitnesses told them about the way the attacker was dressed. If investigators could fabricate evidence listed on a search warrant, Byron wondered what else they had done to frame Hunt. Love and yeah. even Mr. Uh, Chuck Byron or Sergeant, excuse me, he even talked about racism within the department as a black. How could you avoid that as a black male at any time, really? But certainly during this time, I mean, geez, they're swapping narratives of the plantation master raping niggers on the plantation. So, I mean, yikes. I don't know if he has to hear that sort of thing, too, but wow. Um, you, uh, yeah, it was poetic justice that he was able to uncover some of that. And thanks for reminding me. I once again 
you know, your question going back to a little bit, this white prostitute. Yeah, she, I'd forgotten that it was she who had talked about this, this spiderweb t-shirt. And again, she, you know, she was giving them information because she was a runaway, she was a drug addict, she was a little kid, and she was scared. All of that bullying, that's something that I, just two points, she she said it twice now, uh, that Daryl Hunt, at the time that he is arrested and convicted eventually for all of this, raping uh, and killing Deborah Sykes, he was basically homeless. Mm-hmm. He didn't even have a place to, to yeah. store his uh, belongings, the spiderweb T-shirt and whatever else. He's got to keep it. Yeah. And even Sammy Mitchell, it's not at his house. She said it's at his mother's house. Like, geez, I mean, black male privilege. Like, my goodness. Like, this is what that in one respect, that is a massive difference from the O.J. Simpson narrative. Like, man, we do not have O.J. Simpson dollars. We are not going to have no dream team like I don't even have storage facility. Like, man, it is so, Ian, we even talked about that with O.J. Simpson. Yeah, well, and part of the reason, Daryl, I mean, sticking with this theme of, um, you know, difficulty, the reason Daryl Hunt was homeless is that he, his grandfather was dead. His relative, he had no um, blood relatives who could help him out any longer and he had inherited a small amount of money from his grandfather, which he had spent on um, on a girlfriend who he was who he'd fallen in love with, and on getting an apartment and furnishing it. And she had a baby by another man, and but he'd spent um, the inheritance on supporting her for about a year and helping her raise this baby, um, and. So he he had this um you know he had a he had a to to maybe um you know a middle class white juror um he might not have appeared to have what some people might call family values but those were his values he 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 had spent any money he had on this woman he loved on helping her take care of a baby and then um, he'd lost the apartment oh and he'd gone to jail um, and this all has to do with poverty he'd been in a fight um, and got charged with assault Um, and the guy he'd been in a fight with eventually dropped the charges so he was never convicted but there were court costs of nine hundred and seventy two dollars and i'll you know that figure sticks in in my head and he couldn't afford to pay the court costs so he elected to go to jail instead for six months in lieu of paying the court costs because he figured sammy also was in jail and he figured you know they could serve their sentence together and be okay and so they got out of jail in around june of 84 the crime happens in August, he had no place to go, um, and um, so that he stored his things with Sammy's mother. Um, he had a couple of girlfriends, so they s- crashed with different girlfriends. And what he really wanted was to find a job with the city streets department where his grandfather had worked. And so he was waiting um, for a job to open up in the city streets department so he could 
um, go to work like his grandfather had done. Um, so, yes, he, he did not have the big bucks to hire the dream team. Mm, mm, mm. That in a story that has lots of tragedies, uh, Gene Hunt. Lots uh, of tragedies, yeah. Deborah Sykes. Uh, Daryl Hunt, obviously, Sammy Mitchell, uh, Ronald Cotton is mentioned. I mean, it just go on and on and on and on and on. Man, I do not have $972. The better option is to go to greater confinement for six months. Wow. That is, wow. Wow. Yeah, it's crushing, right? Black male privilege. Um, mm. You uh, you write about Larry Little, member of the Black Panther Party. You mentioned him a few times with O.J. Simpson. Uh, this is during the trial where uh, he's trying to help as best he can. 1984, leading up to the first conviction, uh, unfortunately for Mr. Uh, Hunt. You write. Uh, they also read accusations of racism made by Hunt's supporters, who had been rallied. Oh no! Oh no! Let's see. Can you hear me? Am I am I breaking up? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, um, we've got a big thunderstorm rolling through here, so I don't know if that's interfering with my connection or if it was yours. But um, repeat what you just said because I didn't hear you. Oh, okay. Uh, yikes! That's crazy. Um, so this is. Uh, I'm I know. The- about uh, Larry Little, I said we mentioned him before, and this is mm-hmm. the portion, Chapter 6, a high-stakes game uh, leading up to mm-hmm. conviction number one for Mr. Hunt. Uh, you write, they also read yeah. accusations of racism made by Hunt supporters who had been rallied to Hunt's defense by Little, the former Black Panther and city alderman, a man not just well-known, but feared by many white readers. Occasionally, the journal wrote about some of the cases inconsistencies that Little was talking about, but always in the he said, she said style of what was considered objective journalism. Uh, And you even give a plug for the paper we already read, the Winston-Salem Chronicle. When you say that uh, Little was feared by many white readers, what do you mean? Well, he was known as, uh, you know, the guy who'd organized the Black Panthers. And, um, you know, the Black Panthers were regarded as a, you know, as a violent revolutionary group of people. And um, that was not the case in Winston-Salem. Um, um, they did a lot of, um, you know, what you might think of just as social service kind of work. They ran a free ambulance program, a school lunch program, tutoring programs. And they also did a lot of work defending people who were going to be evicted. And there was a picture that ran of Larry Little probably in the mid early 1970s. And he's, he's got a shotgun and he's standing next to this older uh, black woman beside her um, to protest her eviction. And so that was the kind of image that um, stuck in the minds of white people. And yeah, for many people, he was a feared figure. Um, not for everyone, but um, for many people he was. 
that's uh did did you hear or read specific white people where they said that they were afraid of Larry Little based on his legacy, his activist work and such? No, I just remember move, when I moved to town, That's that was his reputation. Hmm. I'm, I'm just asking because it's not footnoted uh, and it's not quoted, so this is your interpretation oh. uh, that he was... Oh, being... you are such a careful reader. I'm that is incredible. You're right. Um, that wasn't footnoted. No, that was um, my what I learned from people when when I moved to town. Now his his story is is very complicated because by by the eighties um, he was on the they were called city aldermen, but it was you know the city council. So he was on the city council and. He, I can't remember when he went to law school, but eventually he went to law school during that period at Wake Forest University. Um, he had champions among, you know, who were who were white, um, um, but he still, yeah, that he he still had that reputation as being uh, a Black Panther and the the idea of the Black Panther had to do with violence and civil unrest. Fascinating. Fascinating. I, I just, I ask because I'm, what shall I say? In a system of white supremacy racism, where the Daryl Hunts mm-hmm. of the world are caged and beaten. In fact, I'll, let me pause. I'll pause and explain my question. Let me get one question. I see we do have some callers. Yeah. Man, the homoeroticism okay, great. in this book is extraordinary. One of our favorite Dr. Curry was in the intro as well. His book, The Man Not, is in my top ten. He was the one who told me about uh, picking cotton, Ronald Cotton's uh, book that he co-authored yeah. uh, about being falsely accused or falsely convicted, sorry, for uh, raping mm-hmm. a white woman. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Curry's book, The Man mm-hmm. Not, and then The Delectable Negro. This, you you have two different sections. I'm going to put these together. And even Sammy Mitchell, he talked at the beginning when the officers stopped him, they said that they were going to get, or they were talking, sorry, to Mr. Hunt about Sammy Mitchell and saying that he had committed these crimes before he got away with, they even pulled the weapon out. Like, see, you see this, this is what he used. And he got away with it. We couldn't get him. We're going to get his black ass this time. That's bing one for the homoeroticism Two, I'm scooting ahead. This is chapter 12. We will not give up. You write hunt met men at Odom who had been there 20 years or longer, whose lives made him dread what lay ahead for him. No one ever wrote them or came to visit them. Some had lost their minds. Others found comfort in sexual relationships with other men, but that held no appeal for Hunt, who thought of these men in disparaging terms as punks. Still, others made a grim exit plan. They would contract HIV, which was then rampant in the state's prisons, with the idea that death by AIDS would be quicker than the slow, inexorable death that surrounded them. There was humor of the darkest kind in the way they talked about it, of going out with a smile on your face. For Hunt, Odom was the place the state sent you to 
die. Skipping just a couple pages mm. forward, same chapter. Uh, our guest, Phoebe Zerwick, yeah. continues. There was more to the degradation witnessed at Caledonia Farm. Things Hunt confided only years after leaving the place, things that no one would have believed if he'd complained at the time. One story he told is still hard to believe, except that others who were incarcerated at Caledonia during the same era have told friends of the same strange scene. On weekends, guards well, would I know where you're going with this. Guards would set up tents in the fields where incarcerated men dressed in women's clothing would turn tricks with others desperate for pleasure even if that meant finding it in a makeshift brothel at the center of a former plantation. I just want to get your thoughts on, I mean, the homoeroticism, but just to bring this like all the way forward, the Charlotte Observer, I talked about this with Dr. Curry in 2017 when his book was first published, The Man Knot. 25 inmates told the same disturbing story officers turned rural road crew into torture. Now I'm just skipping down way, way down just to give a few paragraphs. They write lawsuits claim that officers mm -hmm. Anthony Jackson and David Jones pitted inmates against each other, forcing them to exact abusive and vulgar punishments. Philip Jarman said that when he refused to stick his finger in another inmate's rectum, Jackson ordered other inmates to attack him. In another sadistic encounter, three inmates said Officer Jackson forced them to hold down Patton and grab his testicles until he yelled, Jones is my master, in quotes. One inmate was ordered to do it a second time, and he refused, the lawsuit said. In retaliation, Patton said he was forced to jump on that inmate and bite him like a dog, in quotes. The bite, Patton said, left a permanent scar on the man's back. Patton said officers seemed to take a perverse pleasure in such abuse. Gary Parker, an habitual felon who worked on the road crew with Patton, said he passed blood after being forced to ingest hot sauce. Parker, who is now out of prison and lives in Asheville, said the incident that drove him to speak outside help occurred during lunch break one day in 2012 when he fell asleep on the bus. He said he woke up when another inmate grabbed him and held him down and then I feel somebody else squeezing me. They rubbed hot sauce on my private parts. I was burnt. I will stop there. Wow. The homoeroticism yeah. in this book? Wow. What do you think, Miss Zerwick? Yeah, it's interesting. You're the only person I've talked to that who's asked me about this, so I suppose it's just such an uncomfortable subject, right? Um so what I think is I you know, I don't I don't know that I really understand it, except it reminds me a lot of those images out of Iraq, remember Abu Ghraib and what the soldiers were doing to those um, and those photographs of soldiers um, engaged in homoerotic acts with with prisoners, war prisoners. Um, I think that 
that prison is, um, you know, if prison is are the are modern day plantations, this whole system um, is so destructive that it drives people to behave in in ways that are kind of beyond my understanding. Um, but I think it's tied up with this with the with the system that's so degrading that that people in power also end up behaving in in a way that is to me beyond understanding. I don't think that's a very good answer, but I it to me has to do with the with the s- systemic racism, but beyond that with the with the degradation that goes along with imprisoning with with a system that either has people in 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 the role of guards or in the role of being imprisoned and what that does to both the imprisoned and the people serving as 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 um as the guards as those imprisoning do you see it's clearly um it's, it's clearly a destructive system hmm do you see a, a pattern uh, within white culture of this sort of sexual sadism against non-white people? Like you said, Abu Ghraib, those are non-white people that were being uh, tortured, unless I'm mistaken. And then even I said at the beginning, this is Emmett yeah. Till Day. He was castrated. That's yeah. kind of the same thing. Do you yeah. see that as a pattern within white culture at large? Um. Yeah, you're you're asking me about a connection that I've never really made, and to make connections I've never really thought about. I mean, I think we are both. <laughs> I I don't think it's unique to um, to white supremacy. I mean, there was horrific statism and and homoeroticism um practiced in in the death camps um in Nazi Germany right so i i don't know that it's unique to to white people i think humanity i think we are a brutal species um but i think it's certainly um part of what white supremacy is about because white supremacy is about um, using is about people in power subjugating another pe- another group of people so it's certainly embedded in white supremacy but I don't know that I believe that this is that this this kind of evil is unique to white people I'm, I'm not going to go there with you okay this is another one just for precision the question was not is this exclusive Mm -hmm. to white culture or white people the question was do you see a wider pattern of this sort of sexual sadism within white culture white people that was the question not is this exclusive that was not the question at all just for clarity's sake Mm. uh let's see um yeah i mean i suppose so i just it's not something i've put together myself the way you have right on right on 
uh, the, the delectable Negro, the hot sauce, especially because it's so recurrent, uh, where it's not just a one-time arbitrary thing where you see the same sort of pattern over and over and over and over, it would give one pause. Uh, let's see. Our caller. Absolutely. I'm in total agreement. <laughs> Uh, particularly the dresses on the plant, like what is going? And then we started. They're swapping jokes about the plantation master is raping the mistress. Now you got the black male slaves dressing up in dress. Like yeah. what is what? <laughs> what does it mean to be white? I have been lied to, man. Yeah. I see our caller victim. Yeah, in- I, I'm I'm in agreement. I mean, obviously that's why I included these details in in this book. It it seemed an important part of the context and of the story agreed agree i'm ashamed that other people haven't brought that up when they've talked to you and you know asked to chat about all this i think it makes people really uncomfortable it should jesus christ my god daryl hunt had to live it man that's how this story ends ptsd and mental do you think seeing all of that how many years was mr hunt incarcerated was it 19 it was 19 years, and um, a total of four of those years were in solitary confinement, which um, medical studies now show uh, lead to higher rates of, you know, I'm sounding like a medical study now, but this is how those studies are worded, right? But they, it leads to higher rates of um, drug abuse, anxiety, depression, and suicide. Solitary Yes, spending that amount of time in solitary confinement. Mm. And if you've ever been to visit a prison and seen what those cells are like, um, Mm. I I don't know that, you know, maybe I have more fortitude than I think I have, but I don't know that I would last a week. Mm. I think you did write in the book that many of these folks had lost their mind. I, it, hey, between the rapes and dressing up and all of that, and then solitary confinement, and, and even with Mr. Hunt, you include the detail. Some of these times, he was deliberately trying to get sent to solitary confinement for protection mm-hmm. because, once again, we do have a Negro who is accused of raping and killing a white woman so he's being threatened and all the rest the guards and everything so some of this is hey the safest option just take me to solitary confinement is that correct exactly exactly many tragedies in the book i said that before repeating and we think of solitary confinement as you know the place where they send you know like the most dangerous prisoners, you know, the high-ranking gang members who are attacking guards. And, you know, Hunt could just commit some silly little infraction to get himself sent to solitary confinement, like not show up for mealtime on time. Mm-hmm. Blackmail privilege. Uh, victim in New Jersey. Yep. Did, did you have a question for journalist, professor, author, Phoebe Zerwick, you should be with us, victim in New Jersey. Um, Hello, yeah, New Jersey. Let me just change my, <laughs> hey, how you doing? Let me just change my earpiece. Hold on one second. Hey, how you doing? 
Um, I'm doing well. to have you on the show. Okay, so this first question, this is, this is <laughs> most people are, you know, get defensive, and this is not what they would call a gotcha question. When Gus asks of patterns of this behavior, and, mm-hmm. you know, do you find this pattern in the white culture, and you said it's not exclusive to white culture, and you gave mm-hmm. examples of other cultures that, mm-hmm. you know, that is just not, is this not uh, related to white people? Are Nazis white? Nazi Germany? Is that a white country? Well, of course. Okay. So, no, I'm just, because, you know, we, in, on this show, you know, I follow the show and we strive to be accurate because we're trying to get understanding about white supremacy. But when you gave an example that these patterns are not unique to white people, the only example you gave was other white people. Oh, okay. I I I was unclear. I I think I was um speaking to the question of whether it was a pattern that was unique to in white people in in exercising white supremacy. And of course the um the people Nazi Germany did practice white supremacy, you know. Well, I, I suppose they didn't consider yeah. other white people purely Aryan. They considered them um, not fully white, um, and so they yes, I sp- yes, um, they practice white supremacy. Right. So point well taken. I stand corrected. Right. No, just just yeah, just we just I, we I, I listen. I, I make mistakes as well, you know. Um, so do you think? And but their victims are also white. Is my point. Is my point correct? But I correct. stand correct. Correct. Yes, they they were white. Um, so when we strive for accuracy, and when you look at the media and you see all this confusion, mm-hmm. when you and, and you agree with Gus's definition, and in 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 Gus's definition, he said dedication. But when you use terms like blind, the system is blind. But you are giving clear examples of the police deliberately, knowingly lying. Is that them being blind or is that just dedication to mistreating treating people? And in this case, a black a black ma- black males. I, I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. I don't completely remember the definition. I don't know when you're asking what um, no. When I'm talking oh, about the system no, being what? blind, I, 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 yeah, I don't understand what you're asking. No, what I'm saying is because you know this, like, so, so people can get a better understanding of the system because there's a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. So when we use phrases like the system is blind, you know, or even if we we use the system and not point to the people that operating in the system you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. you know so when we say the system is blind and when you clearly see police officers who deliberately lie they're not blind that's like you know what i mean so i said would would that be more of not the system being blind but people within the system being dedicated to mistreating people and in this case black two black males Well, I mean, I think yes, of course. This the justice system is made up of individuals, right? And and some of them are um, 
dedicate or or are interested in mistreating black people and others are not. But what the point of systemic racism is, is that there's a system that's larger than the individuals. I mean, we have laws that are written that, um, that discriminate against black people. We have um, sentencing laws and drug laws and all kinds of patterns that we've been talking about. So that in my mind, the, the system is something um, larger than 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 individuals, and I, I I'm a little confused by your question about me saying the system is blind because I don't even remember saying that. But if I did, I I misspoke because I don't think I meant to say that. All right, no 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 problem, no problem. And, and just and just you know the last question. And we mm-hmm. talk about like uncomfortable, you know, uncomfortability and having these uncomfortable conversations. Sure. You, you said, and 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 um, as far as like making generalizations, and you said, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to go there as far as, you know, um, generalizing white people and 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 collectively being complicit in practicing racism. Um, do you think that is like? the key and the core of why we can't solve the problem of racism and why there is so much uh, confusion when we, when we talk about, you know, when we talk about race and, and if I could just make a statement real fast and hopefully this is a comparison, you know, because the media has no problem generalizing black people, you know, and, and we're in an opinion based media. You, you know, would you agree with that? Like, it's not really journalism anymore. A lot of times it's more or less opinion-based. Uh, well, this is a huge discussion. I think there are um, plenty, there are journalists um, still at work who practice um, truthful, verified journalism, and then there are a lot of people who are just offering up their opinions and the social media environment creates a lot of the confusion that you're talking about because those of us who are reading the news and trying to make sense of the news, um, so many people no longer know how to distinguish between opinion or between, you know, what people shouting on cable TV are saying versus um, fact-based journalism. Um, so, but, but, but back to the I question, think what do you think driving, about the uncomfortable, being uncomfortable, about being uncomfortable, like having a conversation, generalizing white people, do you think that it's uncomfortable when you told Gus you don't want to go there because I didn't the say I don't want to go there. I, I said that I, I'm not, I don't like to generalize and I don't like to make statements gotcha. about things that I haven't given enough thought to. And in, um, okay. I don't like to generalize. Um, you know, I believe um, in trying to understand systems and how systems operate, but I believe in 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 looking at individuals and looking beyond generalities. I I, I find that generalities can sometimes be um, it's easy to generalize and it's hard to look at specifics. So I prefer to look at individuals and i and i am reluctant to generalize 
Okay, Thank that, that's, that'll be all. Thanks a lot, Gus. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to our caller in New Jersey, uh, Kwame from the Bronx. Did you have a question for Phoebe? Okay, I'm gonna. I can stick around for one more call, and now it's um, ten o'clock my time, and um, and um, I don't. I don't do well much past ten o'clock at night. (laughs) Gotcha. Uh, Last caller, Kwame from the Bronx. Hello from the Bronx. Greetings. Yes, thank you. Thank you guys for taking my call. Um, Professor Zerwick, um, I just yes. have a few questions and then, and then you can go. Uh, I'm, uh, I promise I won't keep you too long. If you could just answer the questions as uh, directly as possible, um, sure. you could be on your way. Um, do you think that females should be punished for false rape allegations against males? Oh, wow. Um. It's just a yes or no. Well, I don't know. I don't. I. I I'm not going to give you a yes or no answer. Um, and again, I don't even know that I can give you a good answer because I don't know that I've thought enough about it. I think that um, you know we've. Okay. I, right. I see um, this on a col- on college campuses a lot. I think. I think we are all entitled to due process and that um, um, an allegation of rape is not always true. On the other hand, women have been um, have been denied justice for so many years and not believe. And um, it has been so difficult to for women to have the courage to come forward and make an allegation of rape that. Um, and it is so hard in many cases to prove rape because rape so often happens between people who know each other um, that I don't know um, what what kind of punishment um, I, I could support for a woman who is bringing a false allegation of rape. But I also believe that um, every man is entitled to due process and nobody should have to face a false allegation. So I, I honestly, um, I, um, it's a really difficult question for me and I don't know how to answer it. Okay. Um, second question. Uh, have you ever had sexual intercourse with a non-white male? I'm not going to answer personal questions like that. And I don't know how that's relevant. Well, I think it's relevant. I think it's relevant in in uh, the case from Mr. Hunt. I mean, he was. I don't think it's relevant was, that the author of a book, what my sex life is about, and I'm not going to answer that question. And I can't believe you would ask that. Okay. Uh, next question. Uh, as a white woman, are you afraid of black males, personally? I also can't believe you would ask that question. Am I afraid of black males in, in, in generalization? No. Mm-hmm. Have I ever been afraid uh, of a black man? Yes. 
I've been held up at oh. gunpoint when I was in college on the south side of Chicago, and I was afraid. Mm. Yes, but I'm. I don't make generalizations, and I also don't mm. see why it's relevant um, to this question, to the question of why you would ask the author of a book a question like that. So mm. why don't you answer that question, and then I think I'm going to ring off and go to bed because I got to get up and teach tomorrow. Um, can, I, can I ask one last question, uh, Professor Zerwick, before you go? Uh, go ahead. Do you know Please. who the biggest beneficiaries of affirmative action was? No, I don't know. Okay. Uh, I haven't studied that question. Do you know? Yes, according to Times Magazine, Time Time Magazine, uh, a few years ago, they said that white women were the biggest beneficiaries of affirmative, of affirmative action. Okay, I, I don't know what that has to do with what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, thank you, Gus. That's all my questions for now. Much obliged. Much obliged. I did. I. I thought that question was relevant about the sexual intercourse because we've been talking about that all evening long with Emmett Till and O.J. Simpson and Mr. Hunt and several times actually with. Okay, Mr. but Hunt we've been talking about crimes, not the personal lives of 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 people who come on your show. I. I thought it was relevant, but much obliged. Thank you for indulging us. Uh, we've been chatting it up. Uh, the unfortunate uh, case of Mr. Daryl Hunt, who again did commit suicide uh, after all of this, even getting exonerated and released from greater confinement and even getting a few nickels for all of this. Man, man, lots of tragedy. Say that over and over again. Lots of tragedies. Uh, I did learn quite Absolutely. a bit. Absolutely. Uh, from the book uh, Beyond Innocence, uh, life sentence, the life sentence of Daryl Hunt, victim of white supremacy for sure. Uh, author, professor, uh, journalist, uh, Phoebe Zerwick, thank you kindly for hanging out with us this Monday evening. Okay, will you send me the link or do you not keep these shows recorded? Oh, sure. Can get you the link. Yes, ma'am. Okay, that'd be great. Yes, ma'am. Thanks Will do. so much, Gus. For sure. Thank you. And thank you to your guests. Okay. For sure. For sure. We'll talk. Bye-bye. Context of white supremacy. Here again tomorrow. Uh, thank you to our listener. She sent me the uh, link for this case because I didn't know anything about this case. I think Mr. Um, Scotty Reed had talked about uh, the tragedy of Daryl Hunt a few years back. I think right after he uh, committed suicide, tragically. Um, he, you know, kind of gave an update about all of that. But a listener, uh, she said she had been studying some of the very books that we started with. Delectable Negro. The Man Not Even. Man, for today's program, Tom Thomas A. Foster. Rethinking Rufus. He has other like reports and articles and things that talk about this same subject matter, sexual abuse of black males uh, during plantation slavery. Uh, but she specifically cited those books, maybe even some others, but I know those definitely and said, oh man, maybe worth checking out Daryl Hunt. 
this case and the documentary, if folks want to check it out, uh, The Trials, plural, of Daryl Hunt. It's like an hour, 40 minutes or so. I don't think they talk about making the black males dress up in dresses. And man, that's at least the second time that I have read that uh, where making black males wear dresses as a form of punishment on the plantation. That's at least the second time that I've read that in a nonfiction book. This is how we maintain the plantation. In fact, I even thought the half has not been told Edward Baptist uh, where he talks about potterism, the tradition in North Carolina of white men got to defend white male honor. We'll castrate another white man, catch you out here messing around and doing the wrong thing. Anywho, uh, all of that about the, the dresses and all the rest of it, very important. Something to think about sexual abuse of black males in greater confinement. Something she said. And in fact, she said that first time she's been asked about that. This book didn't just get published this year. It's been out long enough. She says she's done other talks and things. Nobody brings that up. What the hell? I changed my highlight color when that came up. Like, oh my God. If I hadn't got that in, you are, you see, I didn't get to the callers until I got that in. You all mess around and asking about her sex life and she dash on us and I messed up and forgot to include. Oh, yes. The black males in dresses on the plantation. They set up a brothel for white male entertainment. Like what? What? That really that's in the half has never been told where you don't hear about everything that gets done and that's a major premise of the delectable Negro that's why I included the hot sauce and that's current that's 2017 but that's a major tenet of the book delectable Negro that hey a lot of this it's not talked about you would kind of what they say the metaphor read between the lines to figure out that oh they mean the punishment was we had to wear a dress and get sodomized. That's what they mean. Someone put hot sauce on their finger and rammed it in my anus. That's what they mean. They normally just don't say it that directly. I am not surprised to hear that at all. Wow. Uh, quickly, I'll get in two thoughts. We'll take a break and then we'll see if folks have thoughts on Miss Serwick. We'll be here tomorrow. Jacksonville uh, just two quick points number one at the very beginning racial identification man sometimes it'll be just small things like that because if you had caught me on certain programs when I said are you a white, are you classified as a white woman and she said yes I'm classified as a white Jewish woman with frizzy hair and all the rest of it I would have just rolled because she said yes and I would not have you know I'm not confused they try to throw the Jewish thing in to get you all off and all that but man I am so glad that I did make a point of that to just hey I didn't say anything about Jewish I just asked are you classified as a white woman you added the Jewish for her to come around and say well since you wonder I don't know what relate and she even she said that when I made a point of saying hey the Jewish that's not a racial classification they're non-white people who are classified as Jewish 
And she said, well, you're the one brought religion. I don't know what that has to do with Daryl Hunt's story. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Gus T. did not bring up nothing about no religion. The religion, the religion of white supremacy. In fact, one of the tidbits that I did not share from the book, but I mean, hey, if I got to prioritize all day long, I'm going to read the part about the black males having to be in dresses and all that homoerotic activity. I'm going to read that. And it'll just be, oh, dang, I did not get to read this part. Religion of white supremacy. I can share that one with us now. Let's see. This is chapter three, darker than blue. That's a Curtis Mayfield song. Great. Uh, She writes. John Mendez was also well-schooled in liberation theology and in the black freedom movement. He's a victim of racism, Mr. Mendez, uh, that spanned the U.S. and Africa. He had moved south for college at Shaw University at historically black school in Raleigh, where he first met Little, Larry Little, who had come to campus to recruit for the Panthers. After working at organizing custodians at Duke University Hospital, Mendez finished seminary at Southeastern Baptist Theological. Even after a decade in the South, Mendez was surprised by the conservative church culture he found in Winston-Salem, where many ministers still drew their sermons from manuals provided by the R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company. He wanted to be a different kind of church leader, one who turned the pulpit into a platform for social justice. Hunt's case fit that vision. That, wow, religion of white supremacy racism. This is not 1600s. They talk about the 1619 Project. Nope. Matt Turner, that's 1800s. No. This is 1980s. Ronald Reagan, president. The Cosby Show is on television, and they're saying the black ministers were using manuals given to them by the white tobacco oligarchs of North Carolina, race soldiers, that's how they put the Sunday message together. I'm not saying that for ridicule. I'm just saying that to emphasize Mr. Fuller's point concept, the religion of white supremacy. And wow, I did not know that. That is so plantational. <laughs> like, whoo, I will have a whole new empathy for black people. Like to think that would be like, people that are alive right now that's how they grew up Sunday we go in and they got tobacco leaves on the fans and what have you and white Jesus with a a cigarette puffing on on the like what system of white supremacy racism anyway I gotta go back to Arenthal James I learned quite a bit with this book I'm going to assume because she was so surprised that this was also the first time she's done an interview where someone reminded her of the intersection between a rental James murder trial and Winston Salem specifically that same thing. I said, that is egregious. That's what I said. that is a three letter grade deduction. You were a journalist in this city 
at the time the trial of the century comes to your backyard literally you don't remember and you don't make the connection to this story pattern again the pattern of white enforcement officers bragging about practicing racism we're going to convict that negro and negro with a white woman we're going to get that negro negro killed a white one we're going to get that negro playing fast and loose with the evidence fabricating evidence that is agreed and you want to talk about media literacy that's exactly what Stephen Singular told us racist suspect last Monday and saying the failure of white journalists to accurately report about OJ Simpson so that hey people know what was on those Furman tapes what did you have a police officer bragging about making up evidence on black people wow that is stunning and then all of this with all these police cases and beatings and killings wow is this standard across the country Daryl Hunt to a rental James that's the way that we should process this not I totally forgot this did come I didn't and some of the same people from your case are talking about the OJ Simpson case and it's the exact three letter grade deduction that means the maximum grade this book can get is a D and what I said at the beginning that's the second time just this summer where we've had a white author on the pro and she was talking about affirmative action Jennifer Pierce where she did say yes white women easily benefited most from I thought when the call I thought he was going to answer say who's benefited most you talking about uh, Phoebe Zerwick but neither here nor there I said the same thing to Dr. Pierce about O.J. Simpson like Jesus Christ you wrote a whole book about affirmative action and during the 1990s no less you looked at newspaper articles Mark Furman should have been on the cover of this book everything that you talk about I'm racist I don't like females I don't think they should have affirmative action because I don't want nigger males heels specifically and I'm an unqualified white man that's the entire premise of your book how is Mark Furman not here that's exactly what and I even I felt some type of way last week I knew I was going to dig in on Stephen Singular about what he said about not just Columbine Miriam I. Carey lying on a black mother saying she rammed a barricade but before he did all that probably practicing racism at minimum super lazy incompetent journalism he said man it was a total failure everybody should have been informed and should have remembered Mark Furman and those tapes and you were right there they literally had to go to Winston-Salem to get those and had to appeal had a white North Carolina just that mm-mm uppity Johnny Cochran don't you bring your LA Negro antics out here think that's going to play in the Tar Heel State no sir F. Lee Bailey we talked about that man that's why I said like I don't I'm have to reconsider now because man that was trans Columbine has been transformative as well but whoo this program would have sounded way different if I had not known like whoa that should have been at the front of the book maybe even Mark Furman front of the book 
that right there and that also is a part of why so many people think OJ Simpson did this that's not the common consensus that they didn't have evidence in fact that there was solid proof hey you got officers bragging about fabricating evidence and everything else lying on the search warrant that's not the common understanding she could have made that link too lied on the search warrant for Daryl Hunt lied on the search warrant for OJ Simpson we don't get that sort of pattern so that we can connect the dots what does it mean to be white in enforcement offices from North Carolina to California especially if you got a nigger mail I don't care if you got a dollar in your pocket or five million dollars nigger mail and a white woman you better hope you got a dream team and even then you better pray we will take a quick commercial be right back context of white supremacy reading is more important than watching television Emmett Till Day that's another one Emmett Till Day today should not be about it should not be about the March on Washington at all that is (laughs) disgraceful the March on Washington was on the 28th because the wolf whistle Carolyn Bryant Donham no longer with us white woman that nigger boy got to get him cowardly act I said that cowardly act on display again gotta go get a whole gang of white people in Mississippi to go get a 14 year old we're tough context of white supremacy we will be right back I was curious as to when you began thinking about racism as a religion the strongest religion in the universe when did you start thinking about racism as a religion when I made the nine areas of activity, when I listed those in, in the seventh area was religion, and then naturally I had to get into defining what religion is, strong belief backed up by action, and just by that process, stumble into it. Because then I had to ask myself, okay, well, what is the strongest religion? What's the most prominent religion on the planet? If you go by that definition, strong belief backed up by action that may or may not have a God at at its head, in which case the religion of the white supremacists is white supremacy and the God of that religion of the white supremacists themselves, according to the evidence. So that's how I came into it. It just evolved just by me seeking the follow of the logic. Compensatory logic, I mean, you know, just, you know, that's that's how you, you raise the question. See, it starts with a question. Everything starts with a question. What is a religion? You know, it's a word called religion. Now, what does that word mean? So you start with whomever invented the word to start with. You start looking in dictionaries. I only have one dictionary. I don't have a lot of dictionaries. I have one very old dictionary, really. And uh, somebody gave me something, you know, I didn't buy it. And uh, that's the only one I've used. Uh, and it goes back about maybe, I think it's about 1970, the dictionary that I have, uh, American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language. So 
So I just started with that. This old battered dictionary that I have. And uh, looked it up and uh, wasn't, I don't even remember what it, what that was, but I figured, well, I better come up with a compensatory definition that's more explicit. So given that that definition, then the next thing, I raised the question of, okay, there are many, many religions throughout the planet. Now, of all the religions, what is the strongest one? And that's what I came up with. So I decided to put it in capital letters, the religion of white supremacy. Indeed, indeed, ProduceJustice.com. Word book. Word God, excuse me, code book, word God, all the rest. Anywho, again, we will be here tomorrow, same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Jacksonville, Florida. Axe handle murders. We will look at that in context, because I in context, because I am sure that race soldier who killed those black people at the Dollar General. They released the name and everything, some 20-year-old. I thought they said that if once we get these old fuddy-duddies, all the gray-haired folks, uh, Phoebe Zerwick, we get her out of here, we get Biden out of here, we get Trump out of here, we get Paula Dean out of here, we get Donald Sterling out of here, we get all the old fogies. Ah, done with them all. Once we get them out of here, hey, we got the Obama generation. They grew up, Nick were president and all of that. Hey, they, they are tolerant and inclusive. They embrace diversity. Haven't they been saying that for about 10 years? What in the world? How you got all these 20-year-olds, 18-year-olds? My man Peyton Ginger was 18. I'm mad. I got to go shoot up. Dr. Welsing said this was going to happen. I posted Dr. Welsing's interview with us June 2015, the day after the Charleston massacre. That's another free white 21 race soldier. Day after the Charleston massacre, she was here. She said, this is going to happen. She highlighted that was another one. You're raping our women. I got to do this. I got to kill y'all. Political assassination is there with uh, Reverend State Senator Clementa Pinckney. Right down the road. That's South Carolina. Anyway, uh, I'm, before I nab the folks who were with us, uh, see if they have thoughts what they heard from Missouri. This is another example. One, I just said a few days back, there should be a biography on Dr. Welsing and Neely Fuller Jr. They did so much. They endured so much. They're victims of racism too, just like Daryl Hunt. They didn't have to go to prison, thank goodness. Uh, But they certainly were victimized in their time on the planet. And it would be better to not rely on the likes of Phoebe Zerwick to write that book because that's the sort of thing that happens system of white supremacy you got lots of white people they have resources and all of that and they'll end up going to school teach journalism teach history whatever it is and they'll wait 50 years or so and then they'll come along and say hmm this Neely fellow Neely Fuller dude hmm and they'll write a book and then they'll be the resident expert on Fuller or Dr. Welsing and they'll write it from the white perspective and leave out all the pertinent information or what have you or even if they do write it correctly just really there should be a non-white person just like Daryl Hunt was going to write his own book but he didn't that happens a lot too being a victim of white supremacy and subject to so much terrorism where you don't have the time and everything else should be victimized constantly to even get a quiet spot to write 
they have his papers stored. White people store everything. They have his papers stored. I believe it's at Wake Forest in North Carolina. If you want to go and get the prison writings of Mr. Daryl Hunt, privileged black male, I'm still waiting for people to tell me when and where I can cite privileged black maleness in association with something constructive where we can celebrate the mighty masculinity of the privileged black male. But I haven't heard one illustration yet. The caller who dialed in who the first question about sexual intercourse with a non-white person, I always think that that is important, relevant, and particularly for today. Like, my God, are you serious? Uh, The second question I was going to ask, did she encounter any non-white people who hated her or I hate white people and get on away from around here and I'm not talking, telling you nothing about Daryl Hunt I'm not giving you no pictures and I'm not doing no interview. did she encounter that and I think that's totally legitimate as well uh, and you know, you do this work you're a white person, we are in a system of racism I think that's totally a legitimate question as well, I don't know yeah, I don't know what would be incorrect about asking and particularly since there are so many individuals who classify themselves as white who admit freely that they do have some sort of phobia of the likes of Clyde Brown, Orenthal James, Gus T, Obama, Tamir Rice. I mean, lots of white people say that. So why would that be a bizarre question to ask any individual who's classified as white? They even then we just hear the reports and said, man, these nigger vultures are uppity and take it. Never mind. The number if folks have a comment they want to share 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to share. Uh, we are listener-supported counter-racist radio invest. If you think the program is constructive, Hit the blog racism-notes.blogspot.com racism-notes.blogspot.com PayPal button, top right. You'll see the links for Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal. Enormous thanks to all the folks who have invested. You can always invest by sharing the program, letting folks know that we are live on the air, or sharing the link that Professor Zurich requested. Link for this program or others. Let's see. Uh, Lauren didn't get to ask a question. Uh, did you have, uh, I guess you could share what you were going to ask or thoughts, what you heard from uh, Phoebe Zurwick, white woman. Then we'll get the other folks as well. Uh, yes, sir. Gus, thank you for letting me speak. Good evening, everyone. Um, Gus, I don't know why you're acting like you don't get benefits. I'm sure when you ate meat, you used to get the big piece of chicken. Um, so the last caller, she did not seem too pleased with his questions. Um, but the things he asked, um, you know, she denied making those statements. She said um, something about blindness. I actually put it in my notes, too. Um, uh, she said the systemic, then she changed it to just racism that infects the system cause blindness. I didn't get the rest of it. She was talking pretty fast. I'm not a, a court reporter, but I did have that written down. And she also said, I think we are a brutal species. It's part of what white supremacy is about. I don't know that I believe this kind of evil is completely unique to white people. 
I'm not going to go there with you. Now, that's what I have written down. It might not be exactly word for word, but that was in my notes. So I just wanted to um, say that for the record. I need to go back and uh, check and make sure the wording is correct. Um, when at the beginning of the program, when Gus asked about the definition of racism, white supremacy, um, she said she changed it to systemic racism. Um, let me see how she, well, she said something like, of course, I believe that I wouldn't have been able to write my, I couldn't have written this book if I didn't think systemic racism existed, something along those lines. So um, I, I just wanted to point those things out. And the question, the first question I was going to ask is what exactly is systemic racism? Because she kept saying it. She said it, but she's like, well, white people aren't all practicing racism. You know, it's, it's systemic racism and, you know, there's sentencing laws and drug laws and things like that. But who makes sentencing laws? Who makes drug laws? I think those people are classified as white. And that's all I have for now. Thank you for allowing me to speak. Who goes out to fabricate evidence and... We can pretend which laws we can say that you've broken, allegedly. Exactly. I was going to get my definition in for racism, white supremacy at that point again. That's why it's written exactly as such. System of people. It's not those customs and rules. and people. And that's, it's exactly for that reason, because that's the way that we talk about we, non-white people, we are trained, conditioned to think talk and think about white supremacy racism and I submit humbly that is a major part of our confusion and why we haven't solved this problem these things don't just happen these laws drug law we just heard about that last week drug laws and what have you all of these things are done by white people I think it was victim in New Jersey who was pointing that out as well about the deliberateness the intent of these white officers we're going to get these niggers we're going to get Daryl Hunt doesn't matter about the evidence if we have to lie we have to make up we have to lie on the search warrant whatever we're going to get that nigger we have to invent witnesses whatever we have to go and pressure some informants whatever we're going to get that nigger if it's not that nigger we get this other nigger the Sammy Mitchell we get him too or we get both of them which they did whatever pattern and deliberate that's not a happenstance and that doesn't just happen as she said laws and customs and no that's white people enjoying practicing racism right back with the dresses and all of that much obliged Lauren uh, other folks comments I'm sure I even tried to think before I stopped eating flesh did I get the big I said man, the last time I remember actually getting chicken we went it was a group of non-white people victims of racism we went to Popeye's wouldn't advise that at all we went to Popeye's and I specifically remembered I did not get the sides that I wanted uh, we had a pregnant black mommy with us who obviously got all of the 
uh, concessions and priorities for what she wanted. And then the other people, too, they weren't pregnant and they also took priority over what they wanted. So I did not get the sides that I wanted. And I don't remember exactly getting the pieces of chicken I wanted either. So, yeah, I don't I don't even think I got the big piece of chicken privilege. I have to give it some more thought, though. Um, not that I encourage fried chicken consumption or Popeye's. That is, uh, we had some people in this book, in fact, who got diabetes and all kinds of health problems. That is exactly what you get with Popeye's. Get the Brussels sprouts, not the fried chicken sandwich, the two-piece in the biscuit, the onion rings. Eh. Other folks who dialed in, uh, do you have commentary you want to share? Can I be heard? Caller who uh, riled up Miss Zerwick asking all of your zany <laughs> questions, uh, Kwame from the Bronx. She was way less happy about you being from the Bronx after you got rolling. Yes, I, I did notice that she was excited. I don't know if she has any uh, relatives or ties to the Bronx, but when I stated where I was from, uh, she did. She was uh, in a better mood until I asked my question, but. I would only I would just uh, uh my advice to victims is that you know whenever area when you know these cases when black males are uh accused of raping a white woman or area A is brought up and you know white people are around that they should under a system of white supremacy they should be open to uh answering that question and uh whatever answer you get is the answer you get uh is my um, advice to other victims: Don't be afraid. Uh, act self-respect. Whatever answer you get, is the answer you get. Um, she, that was the answer she chose to give, and that was the answer she chose to give. Um, as Neely Flo Jr. says, says, you know, uh, area A is a strong motivating force, and uh, it's what uh, basically you know caused uh, what happened to Mr. Hunt. And uh, I was listening to the broadcast of Dr. Wilson that you posted earlier um, uh, because of the events that just happened in Jacksonville. And in that broadcast, Dr. Wilson was saying how, you know, non-white victims, uh, we need to just conquer our fears of talking about the system of white supremacy and asking questions and questioning white people and just, you know, displaying our black self-respect by uh, not being spectators and and contributing to these conversations and questioning white people with suspicion. I had a bunch of other questions that I wanted her to ask, but after that question riled her up, uh, she, she tried to rush, over, rush off the phone. Um, my question asking her if she's ever felt fearful in the presence of black males the reason I asked that I wanted her to answer that question was because uh, it, 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 because white women, because in the broadcast that we're all going back to Dr. Wilson's broadcast after the Dylan Roof uh, um, uh, terroristic attack, it was, you know, white women, they have, <laughs> going back to the crust theory and Dr. Frost and um ISIS papers, Dr. Wilson said that white women have this like uh, strong sexual attraction to black males and it, it, it's all in their language and the things that they wear, the things that they say, you know tall, dark, and handsome 
their <laughs> their love of chocolate and you know a bunch of other things again you know isis papers and definitely someone should write that book about the life of dr francis cross welton and i'm thinking about doing it possibly you know it, it's not that hard to write a book it's just finding the time to do it and again getting the interviews and finding the people who knew her closely so that i think that's definitely a, a constructive um endeavor for a non-white person to do before a white person comes in you know like you said years later and writes a biography of dr welsing and they become an expert on her life and her writings and starts you know uh tampering and you know misconstruing a lot of the things that she says so uh, yes, again, uh, just to reiterate, non-white victims, don't be afraid. Ask about Area 8. It always makes non-white people uncomfortable. It makes non-white people uncomfortable and white people uncomfortable. But we have to start being comfortable being uncomfortable with these conversations. Ask about Area 8. Do you? <laughs> I was also going to ask from from the white woman that you know personally or have been around, have they ever consciously or subconsciously expressed to you any sexual desires or feelings for black males or non-white males in general? Again, you know, Mr. Hunt was, you know, in prison because of Area 8, and a lot of non-white males have been in prison and lost their lives due to uh, white people's fear of genetic annihilation, Area 8 activity, uh, Emmett Till, uh, a bunch of other non-white Nawai Mills, O.J. Simpson. <laughs> so, again, you know, don't be afraid. Ask questions. Ask about Area 8. Get the answer. Don't respond. She kind of caught me slipping when I asked her about, you know, uh, I asked her about who is the biggest beneficiaries of affirmative action. She asked me a question. Like, she, didn't, she said, I don't know. I hate when white people say they don't know because they know. They just, they just didn't want to say it. She knows who was the who she knows who's the biggest who was the ben, biggest beneficiary of affirmative action since that's no longer a thing now. Um, but she she didn't want to answer, and uh, I answered, but which you know, again I'm still learning. So uh, thank you, Gus, for uh, for allowing me a chance to speak, and uh, hopefully I can get to call him more often um, and contribute and not be, um, not be a spectator. Thank you. Hear, hear. No more British spectators for all of us. So much work uh, to do. Hear, hear. Um, it, it, as he said, asking about Area 8, particularly asking someone classified as white, like, have you engaged in any sort of sexual activity with a non-white person, victim of racism? Like, yes, that does make non-white people and white people on I'm like what what is what, what, what this crazy nigga you we got this good white woman to come in here and you gonna ask her all these crazy who let you in uh, yeah 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 and like I said especially for this subject now I could see maybe maybe if we were talking about uh the Jacksonville I'll just say that why well, even that I don't know I have to put that because I haven't seen the manifesto so I can't even use that one put that to the side maybe we were talking about uh, environmental racism. We'll do that one. We were talking about Missouri and Oppenheimer and all of that. Except maybe because that's not as directly. But this, we started off talking about Emmett Till and Wolf Whistling. Carolyn Bryant Donham, what do you mean? 
even because of that, that further, you know, the other question about being fearful of black people, like, yeah, I think all of that is relevant. And we've had a number of white people who've had the same response to get very huffy. And how dare you? And what does that have to do? And I can't believe you. And you scoundrel Gus, who, why would you even allow people to call in like that and ask such sort of questions? And you ought to be shamed. And Danielle McGuire, I mentioned her. Same thing. She wrote a whole book at the dark end of the street and the theme of the boy. Exactly what I said before. Joan Little is in that book at the very end. Why? White men raping black females. That's the whole theme of the book. Section area eight. Somewhere. I don't remember if it was myself or a listener. This was 2011. So I don't remember. But somewhere along that broadcast, she was asked, Danielle McGuire, have you now at any time engaged in sexual activity? With a non-white person, he did. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa! That's all these personal. questions. how dare you? You think you? What do you think this is? What kind of game are you playing? You got gotcha questions and oh, oh, I'm offended. We've had that a number of other, please, please. That's that's almost the faux white tears, you know. You got and contrast that. I'm just asking. You got white men attorneys these are not toothless ged dropouts these are white attorneys pillars of the community they say they bring in the other upstanding white people to tell jokes about white plantation owners raping and it's probably raping black children but they get mad you just have you engaged in this Come on, come on. And uh, Daryl Hunt, a big part of why he was locked up was Area 8. Just according to what I read, if he had not been engaged in sexual activity with Little Bit, that's her nickname, Margaret Crawford, this underage uh, white teen, that might have changed because that's how they arrested him in the first place was for lewd activity with this white minor. If that was not hack, uh, taking place and they, you know, used all that to allow them to search one of the conversation that they had with her and then put all that pressure on her to get all this in the testimony in the, uh, when they went to court. If that interaction is not happening, maybe they are still able to do this. Maybe not. That would just be another one under any state. At minimum, he wouldn't have been arrested. At minimum, he would not have been arrested. They would have had to wait until they had enough evidence to get him for the Deborah Sykes uh, rape and murder. They would not have had him locked up and caged while we're you know, going to finagle and lie and make up more so-called evidence that you did all this. Anywho, uh, anybody else? Victim in New Jersey? Any other folks? Commentary they wanted to make sure they get in? Yeah, Gus. Um, yeah, uh, apologies. I think I was kind of, I think I was kind of long-winded. And um, also, um, what I definitely have to get better with, um, I kind of uh, didn't um, stick with the question towards the end because she seemed to not want to um, general generalize when it came to. Um, you know, white people, because I, I think that they don't want to do that because when they really come to the conclusion, when they u- really use their brain computer, because these are intelligent people, 
they too come to the conclusion that the problem is white people. And that's why when she made the statement, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to go there. And even when you asked the question and you talked about, um, um, comparisons, um, you know, and, you know, and some of this, um, you know, um, sexual behavior, this, this, this rape behavior that, you know, uh, white males, um, participate in. And as, as I'm right here, I'm, I'm surrounded by police right now. So bear with me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, and then she, you asked her for a, um, and she said, you know, um, there's other cultures that also participate in this. And I don't want to just put this on white people. And the only example that she can give was other white people. And I'm like, huh? So, you know, when I asked her the question, I said, hey, you know, I don't want this to be, you know, this ain't a got you question, but, you know, you know, I mean, that, that was, that really didn't make any sense. And the fact that you couldn't bring up any other group of people that collectively, you know what I mean, you know, um, you know, are basically raping other groups of people, as she would say, systematically, and the only example that you can bring up was Nazi Germany who were who were white people and was white supremacists. So, you know, I, I mean I just found that very suspicious and also she also brought up um the fact that she was um held by gunpoint in the south side of Chicago. I'm like, okay. I mean I'm not saying she's a liar. I also found that suspicious. But, you know, and you know, I'm like, okay, e- even with the terms that she used as um, you know, the system and, and being blind. I'm like, this ain't this ain't people being blind. Like this seems like dedication. You know, dedication. And and and, and I kinda deviated from the last question because it was something else I wanted to ask her relating to journalism and how, you know, journalism and as we look at the political climate, you know, when you just made the, these journalists are letting politicians run on a platform when they're not even talking about policy. They're simply talking about how punitive they can be towards black people. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's just it's just lazy journalism and they allow it. You know, and, and, and her also not being accurate when you start talking about blindness, you agree to Gus's definition that we're in a system where of people classified as white are dedicated. They're not blind. They're dedicated. You know, so I'll I'll close with that. Much obliged. Uh the the minimizing terms, uh like saying that white people are blind. She even she did a, a series on Daryl Hunt and she used the term uh it was murder, race, I forgot the last like might have been justice. Whatever last term, but I was going to ask her, uh, is race or racism, which is the more accurate term for what this case is about? And there'll be lots of bias. That's another one where they will pussyfoot. They will minimize what we're talking about. This is torture, terrorism. That's what that uh, report that I read, the hot sauce on the genitals of the black people, black males, black males with privilege in North Carolina, it said torture. Officers turned rural road crew into torture. That's not bias, 
That's not blind. That's not unconscious. That is willful, dedicated. And really what I said, patterns, delectable Negro. Long time of this sort of activity. Black males. And again, even that is one to think on how in the world now you want to talk about spectating and not being comfortable being uncomfortable there are a lot of things that would stand out in this book Daryl Hunt and his black mother being killed lots of uh, underage now see even right there the leakage I totally forgot she said the squabble where Daryl Hunt's mother Jean Hunt she was killed by another black person black female even it was around Gene Hunt was having some sort of uh, sexual activity with her brother. And this was apparently a younger teen. Might even been underage where, you know, this might even been a uh, statutory rape, as they say. She was upset about it either way. Uh, man, so much of this sexual area eight and being really reckless, encouraged to be reckless with regards to Area 8. There are many tragedies in this book. Many things. You got many white women who were killed. So I mean that right there. Many black people wrongly uh, arrested. Acute Clyde Brown. <laughs> right there. Executed. Sammy Mitchell. Ronald Cotton. I mean there's loads of them. Uh, all throughout the book. Beginning to end. Daryl Hunt of course the big one. But dang. You got a whole section in vivid detail they make a brothel on a plantation and have the black males why do they have to be in dresses what is that for they could just do the you know we're going to sodomize and whatever whatever and why the dresses and all of that what is the entertainment of all of this for the man Watch Shawshank Redemption one more time. My God. Uh, again, we will be here uh, tomorrow, same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we will have uh, author on Jacksonville, Florida. In con- we had our listener in Jacksonville told us about the axe handle protests, 1963. Excuse me, 1960. 1960, my apology. 1960. <laughs> in Jacksonville. We said, man, I think the race soldier would have known this. We'll chat about all of that, get the updates on the information that's been released. Our guest, uh, I think he's native uh, of Jacksonville, Florida, and all of that. So we'll we'll try to put everything into context tomorrow. Uh, folks can listen in, try and make sense. At, at minimum, use this strategy to connect the dots, help us be less confused about why these type of events continue to happen white genetic annihilation there will be more everybody satisfied anything else they need to get in before we wrap up oh one last thing Gus uh, she did hit us with the the uh, <laughs> I forgot she did say that she was uh, held up at gunpoint south side Chicago I mean, I should have followed up with some more questions like what what year was this? Was a police report filed, et cetera, et cetera, because 
I mean, white women have a history of just lying about, you know, being victims of crimes. And, and I think she, I don't know if she did it consciously or subconsciously, but, you know, that did fall in line with, you know, a pattern that white women do. So I just wanted to say that. For sure. Carolyn Bryant Donham, not with us anymore. Emmett Day. Um, we will be here tomorrow, same broadcast time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Always good to check the allegations of individuals classified as white. Everybody, really, but definitely classified as white. That's it. Much obliged for the folks who tuned in. Hope it was worthy of your Monday evening. Uh, we'll chatted up jacksonville florida hope people you know been paying attention staying safe and uh sharing anybody who has non-white people say, i don't want to talk about no racism no such thing blah 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 and it's not that big of a deal eh. vgq victims guaranteed qualified but i would submit it's a pretty big deal you can't even go to the grocery store sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy that was a part of this story as well uh these black males daryl hunt sammy mitchell being at the liquor house and drinking and that sort of thing like and eh, not the best look uh you want to be so never know when you might we got a white woman who was killed and raped and we think you did it might want to be sober at that point just saying incidentally it also seems like the better way to go is do not speak to enforcement officers I know you're just doing your job but I need a lawyer even if you've been at church all day long and visiting children at the hospital's uh, burn unit singing and reading to the children there all day long you got alibi you're on security camera and everything even then it might be best I need an attorney thank you especially if you're under 18 I need my parents and an attorney thank you might need to practice that with your offspring creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately no name calling no gossiping no throwaway offspring let's not be reckless with area 8 you play around with sex the joke is on the offspring race soldiers they build cages for throwaway offspring non-white offspring cow signing out thanks all for tuning in Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim.
I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.